you. Welcome to episode 17 of True Cult Pop, the music podcast. It's all about music. It's mainly, mostly about music with a little tiny bit of me being angry about football in there as well. <laughs> it's me, Stephen Hill, and joining me, uh, the the John Massinio to my Richard Hughes. Nobody is going to get that reference. Nobody. I got it. I got it. Did you? Yeah, they're both sports professionals yeah well yeah not very good. professional to be honest but um oh here he is going yeah. straight in kicking off yeah i know my team of just my team portsmouth football club the the rats that they are anyway sam slight by the way there he is i don't even know no, no, go on about that. portsmouth go yeah, on do that first appointed one of our we haven't got a manager sat the manager because we're p- pathetic and then rather than appoint you know another manager we've appointed the centre-back of a team who are two places above us in the table to, to, to manage the team, who's never managed a team before. So I think that's a, I think that's a really good idea. I said to you, it was like getting Miley, um, Miley in class to drum for Dying Fetus. Like, not only is she not a great fucking singer, she's <laughs> not a drummer. Like, do you know what I mean? This guy's not a very good centre. Yeah. If we signed him as a centre-back, I'd go, mm, I'm not that impressed with that. But say he's a fucking manager. What are you doing? What are you doing? Livid, hey, ev- absolutely everyone livid. Everyone deserves a chance. Everyone gets a chance, Steve. Come on. Mate, he's got no chance. He's got less chance of being successful in that job than I have of getting Madonna tickets tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, topical. <laughs> very, very topical. Yes. Uh, anyway, um, are you all right? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, mate. Yeah, I'm uh, just about over a very short but very severe illness over the weekend. I actually took some time off work, which doesn't usually happen. Well, not because I'm ill anyway, I usually just take it off to go to some horrible grisly gig or something down in that there London or whatever. You are as I will be doing ho- this weekend. Horrible grisly gig. Sorry, Ooh, I cut you off. God, yeah, are you going to see Godflesh this, this weekend, aren't you? Finally, yes, I'm doing the two-night Godflesh thing that was meant to happen back in September. Both nights? GC. Yeah, baby. Yeah, because it's two um, separate sets. So first night is uh, Old Flesh. It's everything from the sort of demos up to... Uh, God, what was the last uh, hymns? I think mm-hmm. no, the, whatever the last album was, the two thousand four album, mm-hmm. and then the second night is everything black post lace reformation, just a black lace cover set, Agadu, yeah, basically, yeah. Um, and black grape as well, <laughs> anything, oh, anything I love black, that. yeah, okay, black lace, black grape, and oh, I'm just trying to black think of crows band with black, no, no, not black them, sabbath, not them. black no, flag, black peaks, black, black peaks, peaks. I think I'm gonna go with. I yeah, think Goldflesh yeah. covering black peaks would certainly be interesting. Goldflesh, but yeah covering uh the birdie song less so i have to say but you know we'll we'll find out what it was like next week we'll find we? out because to be fair the second night is going to be all the new stuff so everything from a world let only by fire and justin broderick's been saying in socials there's a good chance we might hear some stuff from their forthcoming lp i don't know when that's kind of slated for i don't know how far along they are with it uh hopefully that'll be this year ideally mm. but who's to say that there won't be a cover of i don't know the B-52s in there. Rock Monster, but the rock is do, industrial. Do, do, push pineapple, shake the tree, and then loads <laughs> of like industrialised noise. Feedback and, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, uh, you know, I'd like to hear it, but I don't think that we will. Anyway, on this week's show, it's just going to be some reviews, essentially. Like the old yeah. school review show. We're going to be covering new releases from VV, that's V Lavalo, Bell and Sebastian, King810, Aiming for Enrique, Obituary and Velvet Negroni. Stay to the end. 
is what I would say. Um, if you want to go over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash true cult pup. Pup. Not the band pup. Pop. Oh, Silly nice. me. Patreon.com forward slash true cult pop. You can sign up for our exclusive content over there. We just put a your cult pop out on Will Haven's excellent El Diablo record. What yeah. a record. What a band. What a thing to bang your silly bloody head to and break your neck and your spine and your body to. I did actually look up some live footage of Will Haven after you talking about the way Grady performs and there's a video of them at St. Vitus in 2019 and they open with Carpe Diem and you're right, he does basically fold himself in half for about 45 minutes a night, doesn't he? Yeah, it's, and it's that, impressive. that's 2019 as well. I mean, yeah. you should have seen him back in fucking 1999. It was absolutely insane. I mean, I say that, you, 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 were, I was you, were, five. you were five, weren't you? So you probably yeah. would have struggled to really enjoy it. That's a waste. Would it be a wasted ticket? Well, I don't think I would have got a, got a good spot anyway. I find it hard to see over crowds at the best of times. Mm, yeah, but back then you could have sat on someone's shoulders and it wouldn't have been as much of a problem because you're only wee. Mm. Not like now. Yeah. <laughs> not like now. <laughs> get you big lump. <laughs> uh, you're not a fat get. Um, anyway, uh, we also have another one coming up this Saturday. If you're listening to this podcast, that comes out. Void LP by AMC. Me and Sam talking about drum and bass. Modern drum and bass. I got a bit gatekeepy on the old drum and bass chat, didn't I? You tried to. I did try to. Yeah. But I didn't really because I quite like, I do like that album. So it was it's, quite it's hard. Good. It's quite hard to get. The short version. You know, gatekeepy on something that you, you actually like. No, it's not. I can <laughs> God bless you with the best of them. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah well, okay, fine. Um, but yeah, but I, I, I don't like modern drum and bass as much as I like old drum and bass, but quite like quite like this record. It's a fun time, I thought. It is, yes. I think that that's probably the sell, is that it's a good album. Um, and not quite what I expected. As someone who really, as we discussed, doesn't really know anything about drum and bass, it was not what I expected Um to, it just it, it to sound like a all it took from things that i do know about that as i have found out were derived from that scene anyway so dubstep yeah, it's an interesting one yeah a bit of bro he, step for me he loves dubstep doesn't he sam slight that's what all the, the secret shame that's what all the all the kids are saying that's what they're saying around the water cooler that he loves <laughs> to go wah, 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 wah. love all that love all that but yeah actually i you know okay um it's not the style of drum and bass that i like the most but I found myself having a lovely time listening to it. I mean, there's a good story. I could share this story with you for free because I'm a nice man uh, of me walking <laughs> through the fields listening to it in a funny way. Mm. So if you want to hear that and more, like I say, go over to patreon.com forward slash truecockpop. And if you sign up for the £5 a month tier coming this week, Sam is going to be talking us through the classic Fear of a Black Planet by Public Enemy, which I'm really looking forward to loads because that is a hell of a record it's a hell of an album i think there's quite a lot to talk about in terms of the context even before we get to it i don't think it's quite going to be the fragile proportions in terms of setup or anything like that so mm. don't expect any of it coming out for free you know <laughs> uh but yeah it's gonna be good fun yeah. i'm really really looking forward to that and it all being well special guests to come and lend their expertise as well should we i don't know if you want to reveal that now or should we just let let it happen as they as let, it comes out let's let it happen because you never right. know what right. might happen. That is true. And then yes. you look like a liar <laughs> or a prick or yeah. a lying prick. Oh, the worst. The worst kind of prick. The worst kind of prick and the worst kind of liar. 
ironically enough. Both the things. So yeah, so let's just keep it to ourselves. But like we say, you can get two classic albums per month if you sign up for the £5 tier over at patreon.com forward slash true cult pop. Right. What have you been listening to this week, Sam? Have you been listening to something which it seems like I told you to say? You have, haven't you? No. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but... I haven't no, told so, him to say this, by the way, but he's saying it I, anyway. I have been listening to the song off the back of our discussion of Hue and Cry last week um, because it reminded me of the kind of stuff that I do like when I was listening to that of this era, even though this is, you know, a fair few years prior. I've been listening to the second ever single from seminal Sheffield pop rocker or pop rockers pop band uh, ABC it's Poison Arrow in it it's Ugh. a fucking brilliant song mate so um i suppose my relationship with ABC is that i remember them being played in the house a lot when i was growing up my mum had the lexicon of love on near constant repeat most of the time i'd get home from primary school or whatever you know obviously she'd pick me up i wasn't just wandering the streets of stafford by myself um it's a, a barren and dangerous place a lot like a george miller film it's a dangerous place to be openly listening to abc in the 90s as well i would imagine if that were the I, case. I, that that council flat was quite often ram raided as i was growing up it was a horrible time but good soundtrack at least and yeah poison arrow i think it's just such a wonderful song it's so cheesy it's it is horrendously dated but in a charming, nostalgic way. Like you were talking is about it, Hue and Cry. I think it is. Is it dated? Is it? Or are you I, just... I think it's Are you all just dated. trying to be too cool? Um, what, okay. What, what has come out in the kind of 80s revivalism that comes close to a song like Poison Arrow by ABC? Because, and I will say, I really, really like all these elements, but opening with a soft piano, there's really blown out booming drums, lush saxophone, that really, really complicated, but danceable funky bass and then martin fry over enunciating the fuck out of all of his lines i mean particularly in the chorus i i forgot until i was listening to it over the last week quite how hard he goes for the word arrow when you've got the chorus of shoot that poison arrow through my heart yeah yeah he really goes for it it's like oh martin um, i suppose okay. it's in 1975 right you know like that's an obvious comparison that, that i think that's they're not, bless the 1975 for really going like the stuff that's like oh it's a bit sounds a bit like the 80s and that might mean it sounds like the smiths or new order or you know mm. the, the echo and the bunny men or something or the cure or something cool whereas to be f- fair play to the 1975 who've gone nah we're gonna sound like fucking hue and cry uh and, and abc and stuff and deacon blue do you know what i mean like fair i feel like we've we touched on these sort of bands you know it's, it's only been a week in 2023 where <laughs> where we haven't spoken about this type of music and that was last week um so you know i i guess repeat everything that i said last week i think abc are a little bit cooler they're like a more of a sort of new wave thing than that kind of blue-eyed soul as much as they're a they're a little tiny bit cooler than Hue and Cry, I think. I think Martin Fry in particular has got a little bit more of a kind of sort of sexy new romantic feel about him. Certainly on this, uh, well, this single from this album in particular. Uh, it's funny because I mean, ABC are not a band I know particularly well. I basically know this, and I know the look of love from the album, the Lexicon of Love. Lexicon, of course, could also be called a book. Mm-hmm. book of love oh god yeah. they've done it uh so that's <laughs> hilarious obviously my, my sides are splitting um 
but looking into it, I didn't realise that he is the, the sole member these days. He apparently does everything in ABC, so be interesting to go and see them live, I think. It'd be a kind of one-man band set up, but with more synths than tubers. Like Ian Brown. Yeah, just like Ian Brown. Just but... like Ian Brown. Yeah. Um, well, now let's get... I mean, so this came out uh, on the 15th of February, 1982. It was the second single from the album, which seems mad to me, because if you know, you know. Tears Are Not Enough was the first single, was a debut single. Which mm. I think is absolutely mental because Tears Are Not Enough is not a song that I particularly remember. No. But when you've got this song, All of My Heart and The Look of Love on the album, why are you picking Tears Are Not Enough as a lead single? Absolutely massive. Anyway, this is sort of their first big hit. Uh, and they got a lot of good hits. So my dad used to play the tape of the greatest hits of ABC in the car back when they used to take me down to Portsmouth to see the football when we had a real... God, we actually really had an actual manager who was known oh. for being a manager back home. Oh, imagine that. Um, but, you know, they've got some They've got some really good songs in the aftermath. Let's Gonna Love is a big, big album, definitely. But SOS, When Smokey Sings, a real thing. Got some really, really good songs. But in terms of their great, great, great songs, I remember this was... I think this was the first song on that greatest hits and I used to just, it was one of those like rewind it, play it again, rewind it, play it again. It's fucking great. Rewind it, play it again. So good. Got to number six in the UK singles chart, number 25 in the mm. US. The album sold 300,000 copies in the United Kingdom. That's platinum and 500,000 copies, half a million in the US to go gold. So they did all right. They did all right for a kind of, um, you know, soulful new wave British pop band in the in the early 80s from you know worldwide and poison arrow is i mean obviously i like this obviously yeah, of course you do yeah, of yeah. course i do this is should have really been something that i would have picked but i what i like about this is is that my influence is obviously massively rubbing off on you i hope but you like this you know you like this before anyway didn't you yeah, I liked this before I met you. Ah, fuck. You were cool. So. All right, so yeah. I can't take any credit or blame <laughs> for this pick at all. But yeah, it is wicked. Um, it's just a lovely, cheesy pop song that reminds me of uh, of my youth, back when I was happy. So that's And nice. I, I think that... Bit of it, shoot that poison and roll through my heart, heart, heart. Shoot that poison and... It's the... Bit of it, bit of it. Uh, yeah. That's the genius of this song. A little... Bit of it, bit of it. Excellent. I think... Those little musical accoutrements, if you really, mm. when you really listen to music, they're the beauty of it. My mate, do you know the theme tune to Master of the Universe? You know, oh, God, I'm sure I do. Yeah. Well, when that comes in, right? This is like my mate Mark. Bless him. He can't hear. He he doesn't know the lyrics to anything, and yet he's telling me I'm wrong about this. I was like, mate, you're just a, a bloke. I'm get paid to talk I'm about someone. Me, I'm I'm important, and <laughs> it goes. It goes. He man. Da, 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 da. And he was like, "Where's the fucking da, 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 da coming?" I guess he doesn't just go. He man. Da, 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 da. I was like, the music doesn't just stop. It doesn't just say he man, and then there's like, and he was going, "No, I can't hear that. I can't hear that." And I bet he would complete that. That bit in Poison Arrow would mm. be would be wasted on him. What do you mean the saxophone in ABC? Never <laughs> yeah, he's a fucking idiot. Can't hear anything. <laughs> anyway, but oh, that's the little joy of those little yeah. So those little bits I do like. Great song, Poison Arrow by ABC. Great song, great song. 
Um, I've picked something. This is like a sort of flip this week, really, because I've picked mm. like a new rock band. Uh, Flying Disc, Sunrise, which is the second song from the Italian alternative rock band's recent The Heart of the City EP, four-track EP. I'm meant to get around to talking about this band because it came out in November. We never actually got mm. around to it. <clears throat> Essentially, this EP is really good. And if you're listening and you're one of those people who are like, oh, uh, yeah, I'm sort of your age, Stephen Hill, and I liked all of the grunge stuff, but I liked all the sort of post-grunge stuff as well. So that riff-heavy, driving, alternative rock that sits somewhere between, I guess, like early Silverchair and something a bit more post hardcore like Man Will Surrender or Quicksand. This song has got a lot of that going on in it, and it's got that big that kind of booming grunge thing, but it's also got this really sort of punky, quite stabby, scattershot, random, rhythmical, like, but the back, but the back happening as well. I think this is a really, really good song. The EP itself, which you can get on Bandcamp right now, it is really good. I'm kind of loath to compare it too much to a band like, say, it sounds quite early 90s, but then I also don't want to compare it too much to something like Soundgarden or Stone Temple Pilots, but it does kind of aim for their even though I think it's got a bit more of the sort of post-hardcore feel of it than those bands at their their biggest. But it's a great song, and you can kind of imagine it being played in a sandstorm in a desert or something. Do you know what I mean? Like these swirling, big kind of overdriven, reverby, swirling guitars, big riffs, very kind of stompy, aggro, alt-rock, really fucking, really, really 90s. Uh, I, this is a very, very good EP. Um, as I said, it's called In the Heart of the City, the band called Flying Disc. Apparently, they've been around since like 2010. They're Italian, so I guess oh, wow. you know, I, I don't know much about them. But I heard this and I was like, man, this is great. This is great in the same way as something like Nothing or uh, Narrowhead or something like that is great. You know, those mm. kind of alt-rock revivalists. What did you think of this, Sam? Uh, I thought this was a great song. I'm definitely going to check out the rest of the EP. It's slightly annoying because it feels like you've basically got hold of my notes because every single thing there is like, yeah, that is absolutely spot on. It is a bit quicksand in terms of the sort of post hardcore elements that are coming in there. It's very much Soundgarden and it's quite sort of towering anthemic guitars and stuff. But then, yeah, like you say, it's got these weird sort of juddering time signatures that play off against one another. And I also thought for me, there's a lot of kind of that stoner stroke desert rock feel coming in, particularly the production on the vocals. It's got that dual tracked feel through a bit of reverb and stuff. It really made me think for a kind of more contemporary, relatively more contemporary example. Um, band, I believe you reviewed last year, the latest album of Somali Yacht Club. Um, not their yeah. last album, but the album before that called mm. The Sea. There was a song on it called Blood Leaves a Trail. Uh, and this song really reminded me of that and that's a song that I absolutely love so yeah this is this is basically a bit of a slam dunk for me this is yeah alternative post grunge sort of inspired rock with lots of other bells and whistles added in I think this is really strong I definitely want to check out the rest and I did wonder when you said um, you know oh my, my song's going to be Sunrise by Flying Disc I was like well Flying Disc I mean that sounds like it could be from several kind of eras or scenes or styles or whatever I was expecting it might be a kind of like underground, I don't know, New York hardcore band that I just never heard of or whatever. And it's something very, very different to that. But it is also quite quintessentially a, a kind of Stephen Hill rock song, I'd say, because it does have so many 90s feels to it and yeah. yet still sounds contemporary. Like, I think it's really, really good. Yeah, I really like this band. I've been listening to this quite a lot recently and I was like, oh, fuck, we should have mentioned it. It's really good. Um, I gave it a fairly good review in Metal Hammer as well, which is why I heard it. I got sent it for Hammer. 
and um, it was one of those ones that sort of stuck out for me a little bit. I think it's really, really good. And yeah, like I say, if you are, I know a bunch of people who are listening who will always be like, I want to listen to as much alt rock loveliness as possible. Mm. This is for you. Sunrise yeah. by Flying Disc and the EP is called In the Heart of the City. Go and check it out. It is really, really good. So um, I would have been reviewing Trivium Live, but um, I was going to get a train in from for it's quite quick on the train from my village to be fair but there was a storm and it ripped up all of the train tracks so i was I agree. like mick lynch is trying to ruin christmas you're right steve no that's not what i said at all oh, um sorry okay. that's not at all what i said i said that the weather ripped up the, the unions tr- yeah no 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 you're oh what you're doing there oh. is what you're doing there is you're being massively influenced by a media who are trying to distract you from you know uh making things better yeah yeah no I'm, simplifying I'm things in a, yeah here you are a bit so anyway so basically i didn't get to go and see trivium which uh, i'm a little bit annoyed about not with anyone that in trivium or anyone who <laughs> works at trivium or anyone who went to trivium not even really annoyed at the trains i'm annoyed at the weather Mm. you're laughing at weather steve <laughs> no, i'm just gonna start a fight you know this is this is uh wet sock fury taken to its absolute <laughs> ridiculous level ah, so yes. if you do yes. remember back in the day if you've been listening to me for a while then you'll know how angry i get at weather at download and it's normally just <laughs> standing in the rain and having mm. to watch a band with wet feet whereas this is full-blown like nah you can't go fuck you so couldn't go couldn't make it happen shame that didn't get to see trivium livid it is a, is a shame because i was looking at the set lists from across the tour and it looked like there's some interesting stuff going on i heard good reports from mates who did manage to get to a few of the dates across um across the the uk leg um i will say i was quite surprised to see that given they're essentially doing a tour in support of two albums because what the dead men say came out during the midst of lockdown and then we've had in the court of the dragon so soon after wasn't that much from any of the last three albums really i think across across the kind of various set lists there were maybe seven or eight different songs across sort of well rotating set lists it's like i'm surprised they didn't get more of a, a shout but but fair enough whatever you know, i i have got a big back catalog now i didn't look at the set list because i was annoyed so i was like well why would i do that to myself fair but now you said that i'm kind of mm. glad i'm kind of glad um let's move on and do a little bit of news um let's start with let's start with the sad thing i mean again you know we do these all the time uh mark lanigan passed away last year so he spoke a lot i spoke a fair bit about mark lanigan and how much i love screaming trees van connor we found out just passed away his bandmate and brother gary lee connor um posted a statement saying van connor bassist and songwriter of Screaming Trees died last night of an extended illness at 55. It was pneumonia that got him in the end. He's one of the closest friends I ever had, and I loved him immensely. I will miss him forever and ever and ever. And so that is essentially 50% of, for my money personally, the 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 most underrated of the 90s Seattle grunge bands is now gone. Um those songs that he helped write and wrote are phenomenal. You know, their back catalogue is phenomenal. I, we've spoken before about Sweet Oblivion on the podcast. We still haven't really done Dust 
by screaming trees but i love dust like in my top 20 albums ever made by anyone ever like it like wow. i absolutely fucking love 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 that record it is amazing um and every time i listen to it i feel like i love it more and more and more and more and more they were an absolutely brilliant band the screaming trees and you know there's nothing flash there's nothing kind of zeitgeisty there was nothing particularly unique about them other than really they've got a vocalist who is just otherworldly um but they were just an absolutely fucking brilliant brilliant band sweet oblivion uncle anastasia um songs like nearly lost you from the single soundtrack which is you know there's big big songs but for me really you know dust will be the one that stays with me for for the remainder of my life i would say fucking love that band really really sad obviously there was going to be no reunion because without mark lanigan you can't have screaming trees you certainly can't now um i don't really know if you know anything about screaming trees or are a fan or anything at all sam to be honest so i don't know what this sort of means to you really but you can fill me in if you want um unfortunately i don't have that much of a relationship with screaming trees to be honest i have heard sweet oblivion uh before um and really really enjoyed it but i mean as you say i think um you know not necessarily the most kind of unique band bar their vocalist I, I was always more attracted to mark lanigan's solo stuff when i have investigated that but i mean i i've heard you talk about dust before i didn't realize you held it in quite that level of esteem so it's definitely something i need to go and check out um but you know i like what i've heard of screaming trees i can't sit here and pretend i really know them as a band but i mean the passing of any musician i mean you know they touch so many people's lives it does feel like we do this every week and sometimes several several times over but um I mean, it's always incredibly sad isn't it you know these people bring so much joy mm. and um create such a lasting impact on people i mean as you say dust you know is going to be with you for the rest of your life i mean how long is dust as an album i would imagine it's what 45 50 yeah, minute it's one about that. Yeah. yeah it's quite yeah it's a, just shy of an hour i think yeah and for you know a group of people group of musicians <clears throat> to put together <laughs> what in the grand scheme of things it's really really brief experience that means so much to you for the rest of your life i mean it is quite incredible and so as a result you do have to kind of take a pause and pay respects to those people i mean i unfortunately feel that i can't quite do justice to that because i don't really know van connor's work but yeah it, it is very sad all the same and i think maybe once again it's time for me to educate myself with another musician now that i'll never be able to experience them in the flesh yeah, it's really sad. I mean, they were an explosive group. They made music um, that sounded so soulful and, and beautiful and, you know, melodically interesting in so many ways. I think like they, they were a real kind of classic rock sounding band. And mm. yet there was so much tumultuous anger and you know violence and butting of heads that you know th that made up the sort of the the stuff that happened away from the music that you know they kind of they had imploded by the time i really got into them screaming trees mm. and it's a shame that they never got to kind of come back and do a do a thing you know do a do a reunion they're 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 one of the only bands really that were like not even big bands but like 
kind of one of the only bands you could you can count like i keep always say you can count on one hand the amount of bands who haven't reformed and mm. screaming trees get in there with fugazi and caius of like the bands that, and the smiths of like the bands who just never reformed you know so um yeah it's a real it's a real shame it's a really sad thing and um you know screaming trees are amazing if you haven't heard them you need to go and listen to them so r.i.p van connor we should talk about the brit awards as well who announced their their full list of nominees for this year's brit awards happened on the 11th of february the o2 arena uh, I'm going to save artists for the year for the end because I feel like that's the big talking point. Yes. But what do you reckon broadly are these nominations? Album of the Year. 1975 being funny in a foreign language. Wet Leg by, Le- by Wet Leg. Harry's House by Harry Styles. This is what I mean by Stormzy and Actual Life 3 by Fred again. Um, uh, well, I've not heard the Fred again album. So I can't them. really speak to the quality of that. But I mean, for me, 1975 is a clear winner there in quite a quite a weak field, I would argue. Mm. I liked I liked Harry's House, but yeah, none of that's doing much for me, okay. um, which I think maybe maybe potentially a theme when we get to the end of this discussion of this sort of bit. Yeah. Group of the year, the 1975, the Arctic Monkeys. I don't think the Arctic Monkeys have done much no. to deserve that this year, but fine. Bad Boy Chiller Crew nova twins that's mad yeah i mean good for them good for them that's cool hell. and wet leg um 1975 isn't it yeah annoyingly it is yeah it is yeah <laughs> best new artist koji radical mimi webb <sighs> rena sawayama come on come on are we really doing this still like i mean look rena sawayama's getting that nod this year for best new artist because if you remember last year or the year before maybe she wasn't eligible because what? well because they were going well you know you've got a japanese passport so you don't count as a brit so she had to actually go out of her way to and she did that big post if you remember going oh I, i'm not eligible for for the, any of the brit awards as a british oh, artist oh god yes i do remember that mm. yeah i didn't didn't realize that was where suella braverman was based before she got into parliament yeah so rena sawayama's now been around for I'd say too long, really, to be considered a new artist. A new like artist. when your second album's coming out, that's too long. It's too long. Anyway, I mean, fucking, we had Little Sims winning it last year. Like, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, Little Sims on her third, fourth album. Fourth like, album at that point, yeah. I mean, yeah, pretty ridiculous to be. But then, uh, it's a it's a silly category, really, isn't it? I think new artists. I don't know where you draw the line, but surely, surely by your second album, you're not a new artist. You should be... I mean, Rena's going to be coming up in a bit, I think, in terms of a kind of counter yes. to something else. Mm-hmm. So. Song of the Year, uh, Baby by H and Ashanti. Go by Cat Burns. Starlight by Dave. I think that was a great Dave song. Merry Christmas by Ed Sheeran and Elton John. Oh, I mean, okay. Uh, BOTA by Eliza Rose and Interplanetary Criminal. Green Green Grass by George Ezra, As It Was by Harry Styles, Forget Me by Lewis Capaldi, Afraid to Feel by LF System, Sam Smith and Kim Petrus, Unholy, I Can't Be Bothered to Think About What Would Win That because I don't really think <laughs> anything in it is particularly great. International Artist of the Year, Beyonce, Burner Boy, Kendrick Lamar, Lizzo, Taylor Swift. That's a fucking strong, that's a strong list of nominees mm. there. It's got to be Kendrick. As much as I love yes. Lizzo, it's got to be Kendrick, isn't it, surely? International Group of the Year, Blackpink, Drake and 21 Savage. This sort of thing of having duos who have only done one album together as, like, best group is a thing that they've been doing quite a lot recently. And it's like, I mean, 
I, Shouldn't I, they be new artists as the, a new duo? Yeah, but they're they're not British, are they? Best international new artist. Don't think there is. That's not new a, international. Best make new it. international. Make it. Make yeah, it. Give Drake. No, keep giving Drake loads of awards. And that album's yeah, yeah, yeah. rubbish as well. By the way, first aid kit. <laughs> Fontaine's DC again, like a band with three. Oh no, not yeah. See, you 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 phase me. You phase me. See if, you, if I can phase you. Um, yeah, Fontaine's DC and Gabrielle's delighted to see Gabrielle's nominated. That's very cool. That is yeah. very, very Would well like deserved. them to win. They have absolutely no chance of winning whatsoever. <laughs> um, I'm going to skip the best international song of the year because it's about damn time by Lizzo is what will hopefully win it. Uh, here you go. This is where people get annoyed. Alternative rock act. 1975. Boo. Boo. Where, where's Maiden? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 1975 Arctic Monkeys. Nova Twins. Again, fucking fair play to Nova Twins. Tom Grennan and Wet Leg. I mean... I, they are all sort of alternative, really, aren't they? I don't really know so much about Tom Grennan, but the nineteen seventy five, right? At least everyone else is an alternative stroke rock act there, definitely. Mm. And the nineteen seventy five came through. Alternative that, so. pop, aren't they? You yeah, know? like I don't think you can get too grumpy about that, you know. And you expect Ithaca to get nominated, like you know, bless them, but that was never ever going to happen, was it? Hip hop, grime, and rap. H Central C, Dave, Loyal Karna, Stormzy. It's got to be Loyal Karna for me. I would imagine mm-hmm. you think similar. Yep. Dance act: Becky Hill, Bonobo, Calvin Harris, Eliza Rose, Fred. Again, the, uh, I mean, I haven't listened to many of these, but I do quite like that Bonobo record, and he's a bit <laughs> like uh, from a different sort of era and a different time and a different thing to everyone else. So. Are you saying not, the 90s, Steve? Not the 90s, but like, okay. um, but just a bit different to everyone else. So would like to see Bonobo win. Probably won't happen though, will it? It'd be Calvin Harris. Yeah, probably. I mean, biggest name in biggest it. Biggest name in it. Pop yeah. and R&B at Cat Burns, Charlie XCX, Dua Lipa, Sam Smith, Harry Styles. Would like Charlie XCX to win that. Harry Styles will win it. So <laughs> um, that just leaves the artist of the year so this is not best male british male artists not best female artist artist of the year central c fred again george Ezra, harry styles and stormzy five men sam five men nominated in a category that was changed from the, the male and female artists so that to, to one i guess to you know, uh, to integrate things more and mm-hmm. to, you know, <laughs> put women on a similar pedestal to where men were or and, and I guess bring in the, the non-binary mm-hmm. vote as well and categorization as well. And you get five blokes. Now, there's been a lot of controversy and a lot of chat about this. I have a fair few uh, thoughts about all of this, but I'm going to save them for a second. I'm going to throw to you. What's your initial response to that five and this whole furore? So I'll do my response to the five nominees first, uh, which I think then leads into kind of my reaction to the reaction to all of this. Um, I think that's a really weak category uh, or really Mm -hmm. weak list of nominees. If you're talking about artists of the year, well, here's my alternative five that I could do, for example. So I think um, 
if you wanted to get a kind of alternative rock album in there, Wet Leg have done really, really well. They've been, you know, kind of critically praised. Really, but that's adored. artists. That's not band. They are nominated for best band. Oh, well, oh, fuck, fuck. Oh, well, fuck it then. All right. Well, the two that I would have in there, if you're talking about a pop album, you've got Harry Styles, but you haven't got Rina Sawayama. Yeah, I know she's a new artist, but she's not. Where's Rina Sawayama in there? And if you're talking about, you know, let's, for the sake of argument, use the umbrella term of hip hop. Stormzy's album is not better than Loyal Karner's. Not at all. Where are those Loyal Karner. Why are they not being included in this best artist discussion? Loyal Karner, if it was up to me, Loyal Karner would be the only man nominated. The, my, nomination, yeah. my nominations for Artist of the Year, if, oh, if, it, if it was up to me, would be Loyal Karner, Rina Sawayama, Charlie XCX, mm-hmm. Little Sims, and Kay Tempest. That would yeah. be my five. Now... Can't argue with any of them, to be fair. Now, I will say that I think with the year he's had, Harry Styles is probably deserving of a nomination because of the year that he's had, because of how well-received that album has been, because of how massive his tour was, because of how on the kind of the forefront of popular culture Harry Styles has been. Because Little Sims released her album so late in the year, I would be willing to concede Little Sims, who is far better than Harry Styles, don't get me wrong, I'd be willing to concede Little Sims for Harry Styles, right? My personal taste would be to have Little Sims in there at Mm. the expense of Harry Styles, but I get it. I think maybe there is an argument to say, you know, Little Sims, bit late in the day, next year, so we have Harry Styles in there. That's That's my only concession. That would be my five, with that kind of caveat. It's a very strong five. Uh, I can't argue with any of those. I mean, um, I think I got the wrong end of the uh, the stick in terms of the way that these uh, awards are defined in terms of my alternative five. But yeah, I think I think we're both in agreement of the people who should have been there. And I think that then highlights for me. Um, so before I get into the sort of the the problem, if you want to see it, uh, or not if you want to see it, uh, the, the thing that people have taken issue with in terms of it being five male nominees. My problem is the quality of the nominees, uh, first and foremost, because it just says to me that this award is not about kind of, and I don't just mean the Brits, actually, I mean awards generally. They're not actually about awarding kind of excellence in artistry, are they? They are broadly, they are a marketing gimmick. They're a bit of a backslap, and it's something to put on the sticker when you do the re-released version of your physical thing to promote the tour so that those artists can continue to make more money and sort of dominate the top end of the industry. We all know about all of the metal Grammys, you know. I, funny enough, was it work last night? Shock me by Baroness came on. A fucking incredible song, absolutely amazing song. One of the best rock songs in God knows how long. But it loses out to Dystopia, Mike Megadeth, doesn't it? That song is not better, but Megadeth are a bigger, bigger band, so they are more deserving, and they've got legacy behind them. I think that boils down to why we've got the nominees that we've got in terms of the. Um, makeup of the fact that it is five blokes i am totally uh i totally understand and for the most part i'm on side with people complaining about that or not not complaining because again that makes them sound like they don't have any sort of you know rational or valid point behind it i can completely empathize and understand with that i think it is it has backfired for the brits here somewhat where they have decided to do a gender neutral category and then the voting process behind the scenes has determined it be all men. And so on paper, it does look like they're essentially saying, 
well no women did anything that was as good as these lot but then i think there is there the wider industry problems about the kind of further promotion of male artists the way in which it's done let alone the fact that these artists just i mean think about the alternative nominations that we have just done ourselves you know rena sawayama is not as big as these people so she's not going to be heard by as many of the people on the panel and not going to get as many votes I've just, that is the, awful. I've just checked the spotify streaming um for the for all of the nominees actually which i'll go into in okay. a second but yeah you're you're right essentially okay oh thank well i was gonna say thank god i'm not totally talking up my ass for once but yeah um i think the furore around it i think a fair amount of it is justified but i think it's maybe targeted in the wrong place which is directly at the brits as opposed to <laughs> kind of wider conversations about promotion within the music industry and and the industry side of it itself inherently but still yeah. i feel like you've got a lot to say about it and you've got more of a history with the brits you know i'm just a passive observer yeah i mean they've done this too early haven't they they've done this too early it feels like a nice thing to do it feels like a good thing to do but ultimately i think to stick up for the nominees for a second right because it's not their fault that they got nominated. It's not their it's fault. It's not their fault. And, and for the record, I don't think any of the nominees there are bad. I just don't think they are the most kind of groundbreaking or artistically interesting artists of the year in British music. That that would be my kind of issue with that. So if you look at on. Central C, 30 million Spotify monthly listeners, right? Fred again, 13 million. George Ezra, 17 million. I didn't even bother looking at Stormzy and Harry Styles. Because it will well, be Harry Styles had more. the most streamed song of the yeah. year across every platform last year. So, yeah. So, Stormzy and Harry Styles will be more than both of them, right? Yes. Rina Sawayama has 3 million monthly Spotify listeners. Little Sims has 4 million. Um, Kay Tempest, who I mentioned, has about a quarter of a million. 250,000, right? That's ridiculous. The only one I mentioned who you could say kind of can go toe-to-toe with anyone on that list is charlie xcx who has mm. 17 uh, sorry 16 million listeners just under uh, just under 17 million listeners a month which is more than fred again but still about a million shy of george ezra now yeah. i think what you need to think about is how this comes about and again to bring it into kind of voting there's about kind of five six hundred people on the brits voting list right yeah and that you know to, to take a kind of smaller sample and something probably less not even probably definitely less kind of uh in terms of the amount of people and the amount of people that see it every year metal hammer decide their album of the year right i'm part yes. of that i'm part of that process right now i've talked about this a whole bunch of times before when people go why metallica album of the year why gajera album of the year why deftones album of the year why maiden album of the year why ghost album of the year do you really think that's the best album of the year well no Probably most people who write for Metal Hammer probably don't think that. I put Ghost in my top 20 albums of the year at number 11, right? It was number 11, number 10 or number 11, right? So I voted for Ghost, right? But at number 10. But I voted for Soul Glow at number one. Now, how many of my fellow nominees of the 50, 60 odd people who vote in that category, how many of those people heard Soul Glow out of the 60? 10? 12 15 maybe yeah right and of those 15 people i reckon all like four or five of them went number one album of the year it's absolutely brilliant a couple of other ones would have had it between five and one and a few others would have had it between 10 and one right so we all really liked it 
But how many people are ghost? Everybody. Every mm. single solitary person. If 11 people put ghost at number 10, like I did, that's more votes than me putting Soul Glow at, at number one. That's maths, right? So, of course, the stuff that's more popular is going to get more votes and mm -hmm. is going to end up being the thing that gets nominated. Now, what you've got with the Brits, ultimately, you have to be, and I'm not sort of aiming this at you or calling you a snob or anything like that, Sam, but you have to adopt that attitude you've just had of that's not as good, you're wrong, right? So, yeah, yeah. You, you kind of have to do that. if you Because... You've got people like I mean there was a, there was a tweet going around at the end of the year that went um went around sort of music industry Twitter or, or music Twitter where I think Music Week did a bunch of interviews with people who were like the you know the CEO of Warner Music and the head of the sort of the, the chief financial officer of Universal Music and the the MD of Sony and stuff and they were like what's your favorite album of the year one of them said self esteem prioritized pleasure which came out in 2021 yeah. <laughs> not in 2022 well, two years ago, yeah, two years Jesus, ago. Yeah. one of them picked hunky dory by david bowie which came, came out, out in 1974 yeah. Yeah. and yeah. um one of them just said oh i just like to keep my eye on all stuff and well done to everyone who's released a good album like proper like the teacher giving out fucking yeah, yeah. you know like oh at least you tried kind of participation scores and you just look at it and you think to yourself well these are the sort of people who are voting for the brit awards right yeah and they're not really going to be paying much attention because ultimately at the very very i think you know particularly at the sort of top end of music where this sort of stuff happens i mean they don't care about me. Do you, do you think Simon? I think I said this. I've said this before. Do you think Simon Cowell even owns a stereo? No. Do you know what I mean? Like you think Simon Cowell listens to music? Simon Cowell's favorite album of the year is whatever makes whatever him the most, the most money. Units, yeah, yeah, is whatever makes him the most fucking money. That is the thing that he cares about. And you know, if if those are the people that are voting for the Brits, they're going to vote for the thing which is the best, the biggest. Like all of them, if they all got a vote out of three, I reckon a few of them would have voted for Charlie, particularly for Charlie XCX, would have mm. gone, ah, oh, Charlie XCX, whack that in there, something else, and oh, we, we probably should put Harry Styles in as well. And even if Harry Styles was number three across the board and nobody thought Harry Styles was the best artist of the year, he's still getting nominated because that's the system at play there. So obviously, someone like Kay Tempest, who is a very unique underground not sexy not particularly easily marketable but artistically interesting artist mm. has got absolutely no chance going up against george ezra no chance and that's the system and you can sit there and you can go oh didn't you you should you meant to think about this and you do this and that the it's not ready for it you've changed it as to go look aren't we good but until you change people's ideas of mm. what these artists are, or until those artists are elevated to... Like, even Little Sims, who won it last year, even Little Sims who won the fucking Mercury Prize, the MOBO, who's critically acclaimed... Do you know what I mean? Like, third from top at Reading and stuff. Go on Spotify, 4 million monthly listeners, miles away, even from Central mm. Sea. 30 million people a month listening to Central Sea on Spotify. Like, it's... It's more than six times more 
than what Little Sims has got. And we talk about Little Sims like she's, you know, a potential future Glastonbury Reading Festival headliner, O2 headliner, all this stuff. She's miles away in terms of scope and size from Central Sea. And that's what's going to get voted. Who from this country, at, who's a woman who is, is as big as these people? Adele. That's it. It's only Adele. And if Adele doesn't get nominated, you know, if I saw people talking, what about self-esteem? We should put an album out. What about Little Sims? Yeah. I think the album came too late. Oh, what about Amy McDonald and people? And it's like, yeah, look, look, is it ridiculous? Of course, it's absolutely fucking ridiculous. How can the Brits not have a female artist from the artists that we have available to us at the moment in terms of quality? How is fucking Rina Sawayama not nominated for Artist of the Year? How is Charlie XCX not nominated for Artist of the Year? It's fucking mad. But the system in place... It fucking feeds it. I'm. Am I? I'm. I'm. Am I? Am I shocked? No, I'm not shocked. I'm not surprised. I'm not even really outraged. I think it's like, well, you need to go back to the old mm. way of doing it. If you want to do this, you've got to go back to the old way of doing this, or you've got to completely, completely revolutionise the way that this is voted for. You've got to completely yeah. revolutionise it because it isn't. You, you'll have this next year unless Adele releases an album. You're getting this next year. If this is international, I mean, look, you know, the, they did the same thing with the international artists. And look at the best international international artists of the year: Taylor Swift, Lizzo, Beyonce, and Burner Boy and Kendrick Lamar. Yeah, because Beyonce's massive. Because Taylor Swift's mm. massive. If Lady Gaga released an album, she's massive. They're all they're all American. You know, if Katy Perry or Rihanna or um madonna or whoever releases an album that's gonna be massive they're a massive established artists and the people we're talking about in the uk at the moment for whatever reason they're just not apart from adele so the only person who's going to get nominated for this award as it stands in this current system if you have the same people voting for it and the same people making this decision in the same way at the same time with that same category it's only ever going to be adele until unless like unless Charlie XCX blows up to be absolutely fucking mahoosive, which could happen, mm. which could happen, but yeah, she's still yeah, I mean she's still way off. Even Central C, who I wouldn't have even considered like you know the, the well, who's not who's absolutely not the biggest artist of those five. So it's fucked. It's fucked, and it's a stupid. Sorry, I know it's like it, it's it's just a stupid idea plain and yeah, simple I, if you're going to have those people making that decision you've got to have best male and female categories otherwise this is going to keep on happening and you shouldn't be outraged you shouldn't be surprised i think it's people who made a bit of a you know people made a bit of a fuss about it oh you should do this you should change it but then didn't think any further ahead what does that actually mm. look like well in, in 2022 when it came out or 2021 when it first came in what does it look like it looks like, you know, Adele and a bunch of men getting nominated. The end, because that's the system. Change yeah. the system first, and then you can change this, and these things won't happen. But they've done it all completely around the wrong way. And I don't want to sit here and go, oh, the people who vote for the Brits are morons, and they're wrong, and fuck them, and stuff. Look, it's not what I would have picked. I mean, fucking Loyal Carner didn't even get in. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's not even just purely, like if, like, like you say, if we're talking about it in a, in a, in a, the, the quality of musicianship kind of way, yeah, they're, they're, they're miles off. They're absolutely miles off. But who am I to turn around to someone and say, you know, what do you mean you like Stormzy more than Lorcana? You're wrong. 
I don't want to say that to someone. You sound like a dick. You sound like a yeah, cunt. Yeah, of course. You sound like a cunt. Yeah. It's not my place. If someone genuinely believes that George Ezra is better than <laughs> Little Sims, I mean, <laughs> fair enough. Music's subjective. You're allowed to think that. And, you know, let's say, for example, say like Fred again, who is the smallest of the five in terms mm. of the Spotify streaming. It's like, say he was fifth and Charlie XCX was sixth in the nominees. And they went, well, it was actually Fred again who got more nominations to be one of the five put in that category. But actually, we want to have a woman. So go on in, you go, Charlie, you can have the fifth. And we'll take, I mean, if I was him, I'd be really annoyed. I'd go, well, I got more votes. Why are you taking me out? And then... If I was Charlie XCX, I'd be like, don't patronize. <laughs> How? Don't, yeah, patronize don't, don't, fucking, don't yeah. fucking patronize me. Like, pat me on the head. Oh, well done. You try, Look at you mm. acting up alongside the big boys. I think that would suck. So the, the whole system's fucked. And people are, I think they're they're getting their knickers in a twist at the wrong thing, personally. I I, I do agree with those points. I think the, the sort of two uh, responses I have there would be, it would be interesting to see the kind of... Um, the demographic makeup of the people who do vote on this because you know you're talking about sort of label execs and stuff like that i mean it'd be interesting to see how many people who are involved in the kind of balloting and panel um in terms of sort of race gender income etc where they all come from it'd just be interesting i'm not saying that one's you know better than the other there doesn't necessarily i think there should be equal representation of across it all maybe if you're a label execs because they clearly don't listen to music but you know that's fine um but then i think the other thing is I agree with you. I'm not outraged. I'm not surprised because at the end of the day, it's a popularity contest like any other award show. And the thing is, award shows, they don't really matter. In the grand scheme of things. No, they don't. They don't matter. Like, it's nice if an artist you like gets nominated and gets, you know, credited for their work in a public way. Like, if um, Golden Globes, Michelle Yeoh just won um, Best Actress for Everything Ever All at Once. And I was like, that's fucking brilliant. And getting to see her... Um, you know, there's, um, I believe she's uh, early 60s, I think, at this point. She said she's been in Hollywood mm. 40 years. Um, Asian, uh, I think, Asian-American, I'm not sure. But this woman of Asian background, older than the kind of usual Hollywood stock, playing an action role, which is not the done thing, getting this recognition, that's really fucking cool. If someone else would have won it, I wouldn't really care. And that's broadly my kind of feeling on award shows. It's like, they don't really matter. No. It's cool when the person or band or film that you like wins something, but there's no point really despairing over the rest of it because they are pretty fucking inconsequential. They, they are just a kind of industry, like, pat on the back, aren't they, yeah. really? Nice to see Short Round winning an award, though, wasn't it? That was very cool, yes. And, I mean, to be fair, actually, speaking of the Oscars, I think for me, ideally, he'll win Best Supporting Actor. I want Michelle Yeoh to win Best Actress. And I want Banshees of Inner Sharon to win Best Film. Yeah, so, there too. we go. That's my oh, prediction no. for things that won't happen because <laughs> nothing, that I, nothing that I want ever comes true. Mm. Uh, speaking of which, oh, that's the worst segue ever. <laughs> speaking I could do which, a worse one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there you go. That's our two cents on the Brits controversy. Um, let's do some reviews. Let's start, I reckon. It's going to start with Ben and Sebastian because they are the biggest band and that would have been a good segue because mm. they're former best newcomer winners at the Brits, Ben and Sebastian. Oh, but, are they really? But okay. um, I think I'll save that and talk about Vila Valo, VV Neon Noir, the debut solo album from the former Him frontman. Um, I was never a massive fan of him, although I like a fair bit of their stuff. I do like quite a few uh, him songs. Uh, I think they're good. Um, I, 
only I owned a couple of compilation albums of him so i wasn't mm. ever like a kind of album guy or anything but i did think the kind of if you were to say or if you do the alan partridge thing then yes i would have to say the best of him but i always thought vila valo was a cool dude i interviewed him once actually and i can i can confirm that he is ice cold he is cool <laughs> Uh, but I can't say I was jumping up and down with a great deal of excitement at the idea of a 2023 Vila Valo solo album. How about you, Sam? I don't really know him that well. I know a few of the sort of big things. I mean, you know, you're the best of him. I'm even even fewer songs than that for me. I know a few of the singles from like Razorblade Romance and stuff like that. I remember my cousin uh, being really big into them. Uh, sort of turn of the millennium, early noughties kind of thing, uh, and seeing the seat, the cover for that uh, Rosemary Romance CD, and he'd also not long got a copy of uh, Chocolate Starfish, and that's about as much as I know about him. Is kind of the album artwork, obviously the Heartogram, you know, quite an I- now sort of iconic thing in I suppose sort of cult metal circles, and the kind of the love metal aesthetic. But I don't really know him, so I I had basically no preconceptions going into this other than i know that vilvalo is meant to be you know kind of a rocker who's really quite sexy but also a bit gloomy so that's yeah that was basically how i went into this yeah that's sort of what i thought and i thought to myself maybe i've you know i know he loves typo negative and i thought maybe i've sort of undersold uh him a little bit but i didn't get a chance really to go back and listen to him to see how i felt about it but like i say not that excited about the solo album but this is goth rock loveliness mm. i think it is essentially vina Varlo doing for sort of goth metal what billy idol did for punk rock <laughs> he sort of made it nicer and prettier and catchier and he's made it the sort of thing that your mum wouldn't mind you playing in the background and he's written some dead catchy songs and a song like the first song, uh, Echo, Echo Locate Your Love, is this soft, mm. sort of marshmallowy, velvety goth song. And it just sounds cool. It's all quite effortless. And it's very, very catchy. And at its best, and I think this album often is quite close to his best, actually. I think this is pretty bloody good. Yeah. Um, I completely agree. I uh, was shocked quite how much I liked basically all of this album. I think there is a little a little dip uh, for my money, and that's more just I've kind of heard this song already on a 56-minute album. Mm. Maybe this one could have been left on the cutting room floor, but that's really the worst I have to say about it. I think it is a really, uh, really nice album, even though it does delight in that kind of, yeah, romantic melancholy Um that surely would have appealed to me as a 13 14 year old definitely although i think it appeals to me just as much now because i see it as um romantic in the kind of poetic sense rather than just the loving sense and i think that he takes a fair bit of influence from that i mean even just the appearance it's kind of that post edgar Allan poe influence on comic book style that then fed back into rock music um and ultimately, I think the music does sound like that. I think, I think for me, it's at its best on Echo Locate Your Love. You're absolutely right. I think the title track is absolutely fantastic. The big pick scrape into it, it's like, oh, I'm so on board with that. Acoustic guitar and piano, uh, kind of forming the bedrock of it. Um, 
but still as a propulsive ballad that has got distortion and slightly muddy guitars and stuff so there is still very much a rock core to it mm. more than that though it's it's his use of melody and his ability to craft hooks that are just all over this album i think it's really 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 strong um I find there are some songs uh, like Love Letting and uh, Baby Lacrimarium, I find just a little bit too kind of nice and shimmery to really fit in the whole. I think it's good to have them as a kind of dynamic counterpart to what is quite a gloomy album, even when it's got quite rousing choruses. Um, They just don't quite do it for me. Something like The Forever Lost, however, that's a bit more on the driving end of that shimmery acoustic thing, and it still has a gothic feel in the piano and the electric guitar. And when it all drops out and it's just the, just the percussion and Ville singing out that chorus, it's like, that's proper fist pump before you get your lighters in the air for the end of the gig. Absolutely brilliant. Um, I that's think the best me, song on the album. It would be... I uh, think joint best for me i would say with i really really liked uh vertigo eyes at the very end the kind of the epic uh over seven yeah. and a half minutes um because there's this fuzzy guitar solo that comes in about three and a half minutes in it's like it's goth dave gilmore isn't it there's so much feel in it it is like a kind of really even more well it's more upset rather than an insane version of comfortably numb it's not on that level of prowess but it's a really nice solo and yeah, you can you can feel the emotion in the playing. I think it's really cool. I love I that think, he brings a doom riff. I love that he brings a doom riff in right at the very end of yeah. a seven minute long song. At the end of this fucking quite long album, nearly hour long it album. Is quite long. But yeah. if you were like one of those, because yeah, like it's a great song. You know, chunky gothic piano kind of reminds me of Echo and the Bunnymen a little bit. But again, mm. it's got this massive metallic doom riff that comes in. And if you come to this being like, I like love metal i want the metal i want the big riffs you've had to wait a long time for him to give you one right at the end which i think yeah is, you're 55 and a half minutes which yeah. i think is is pretty funny um mm. i quite like the start of it i mean run away from the song is a bit uh from the sun sorry is a slower more languid song um it's a bit more new jersey ballad bit isn't it? aor isn't it yeah i mean i mm. think love letting is quite a cool pop song and i think um okay. you know baby lack lack him Lacrimarium, I think. Yeah. yeah, it's quite a nice ballad, and I think you know. I mentioned, I think, Forever Lost is fucking amazing. Sounds like mm. Manhattan Skyline by Aha. Right, it's a, it's a brilliant, it's brilliant. The hook is huge, and you know, Salute the Sanguine. I think it's one of the first singles. I can sort of understand why. Got big Lost vibes, Lost Boys vibes. Makes a lot of sense. Um, I think there's a little period in the middle after that where like in Trinodia it's a bit more doomy it's a bit slower and it's fine mm. but I kind of like this album feeling a little bit more upbeat and almost a little bit poppier the chorus is sugary as a fucking Cocoa Pops factory but like the music around it is a bit dour in comparison there's a song called Heart for the Ghosts which I think is pretty good that almost feels like again it's going for like a ultra era Depeche Mode um and you know but the sanith um saturnine satellina or leah is okay. i think it is saturnalia yeah is all right i mean it's it's all right it goes on a bit i think sort of mm-hmm. seems like it's trying to do like a bond theme sort of thing and then zenda solitaire is just this sort of ambient two and a half minute vangelisy soundscape thing i think you could have yeah. got rid of them and the album would smush along a bit quicker 
I definitely agree on Saturnine Saturnalia. I actually really liked that turn at uh, Intronodia and Heartful of Ghosts, where it did get a bit more melancholy, um, kind of musically speaking. Because, I mean, through, throughout the whole thing, I think Vil basically does the same thing. He does it brilliantly, which is quite sort of, yeah, almost like groaned out gloom. And then these rousing choruses that are still pretty gloomy, and I think he does it brilliantly. But I liked that turn there. I did think Saturnine Saturnalia was... Um, that's probably the song I would cut if I was going to take anything off. But um, Zen and Solitaire, I actually really, really liked to the point where I'm kind of... I kind of feel it's a shame that it was just an interlude, really, because it's, you know, it's two and a half minutes of, as you say, Vangelis synths. And there will be talk about how not to do Vangelis synths in a little bit, I think. Um, I thought it sounded great. And again, it was something a little bit different coming to the forefront on the album. But overall, I think this is strong. And for someone like me, I think it's a pretty good introduction because it makes me want to go and listen to him. But it also just makes me excited to see what he's going to come out with next. You know, I don't know if this is all he does. I don't know if he's kind of just got one string to his bow. But he's very, very good at shooting that arrow. So oh, <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, I, I like it. I like this. I mean, I kind of think that I'm much more open to this uh, again at the moment. When him came out, I was listening to a lot of hardcore and not a lot else. And I just was a bit like, nah. And then I did get, I remember seeing them supporting Metallica at Wembley Stadium and they got booed off stage and I was a bit like, don't think people like them, don't think it's for me, it's not heavy enough, all of it, all that shit. But then when I got this sort of, I probably picked up in FOP uh, for three quid, like the greatest hits of him or something. And I was like, actually, they're quite good. They are quite good. And I've listened to a bit since, but never really gone properly on them. But this is good. You know, I think this is a good record. It does a lot of stuff that I like. Um, maybe not to the absolute 10 out of 10 highest standards that you would want from something like this, but close enough. And when it's good, it's really, really good. So mm. Neon Noir by Vila Valo, that came out last week. So you can go and listen to it right now. As did Late Developers by Bell and Sebastian, as mentioned. It's the 12th uh, studio album from Stuart Murdoch and Co.'s whimsical and twee folk rock outfit, the follow-up to their A Bit of Previous album from last year. I'm going to fess up right now. I have really never given Bell and Sebastian that much time at all. Mm. Less than him, I would say. When they came out and they won that Best Newcomer at the Brits, uh, shock win beating Damage. I remember Damage being on the big breakfast the next day going, who the fuck are Bell and Sebastian? Swear. Who are <laughs> Bell and Sebastian? Or why are they one? Getting annoyed. It's like, you're a boy band, mate. You don't deserve any, like, whoever they are, they deserve it more than you. But I had no interest in that type of music. In fact, I was sort of quite firmly dead against it at the time. I didn't really know what was going on when they won that Brit Awards. And as the years progressed, they sort of just didn't go away. I thought, they're surely going to go away at some point in this band. Mm. And they didn't. And I sort of continued to avoid them. And then a mate of mine insisted that their 1998 album, The Boy With The Arab Strap, was a classic. And that I had to listen to it. And that I was being a snob. Yes. And I was being stupid. And I went and listened to it. And that album's pretty good. And that's my relationship with Bell and Sebastian. Good, Fair. isn't it? it? It's more of a relationship than I've got. I mean, uh, I think anyone who's been listening... Um, uh, since we did the Your Cult Pop or the Twilight Sad, we'll know that I, over the last couple of years, have had the revelation that I really, really like um, 
Scottish indie in most of its incarnations, uh, and maybe not even necessarily just indie in the kind of typical term. Um, Arab Strap particularly being the one for me um, who self, well, now self-described, but I think it was from a review that was written of them, uh, described themselves as the proclaimers from hell. And I thought, well, that is pretty on the money. That's really, really good. I wonder if there'll be anything quite as pithy we could say about Bell and Sebastian. And I would say it's um, the flower people by Spinal Tap, but from <laughs> Scotland. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. This album, um, funny enough, this is the one I've listened to the most out of everything we're reviewing. Because um, I put it on on the day of release because I thought, ah, yes, I like Arab Strap. I've just got into the Twilight Sad. I like Mogwai. I like other bits and bobs of kind of, you know, folky music. I'm starting to dip my toe into that. Let's give this Bell and Sebastian a try. They must be good because lots of people talk about them. I saw the quietest talking about them quite a lot as well. So I thought, let's have a go. And um, Juliet Naked comes in. I don't inherently dislike that kind of post-early Beatles pop rock kind of thing. I think that in itself is fine. And then the flutes come in. And it becomes so unbearably twee that I I found it really, really grating. Um, Give a little time. Uh, If I was being kind, I would say I could hear a bit of Elvis Costello in the kind of swung pace of it. But I'm not feeling kind, so I'm going to say it would have been done better by the beautiful South. Um, Who have got a song called Give a Little Time, or Need a Little Time, or A Little Time. Um, Have they really? Yeah, which is... I don't know which one. I mean, it's the beautiful sound, so it's not going to be very it's good, is it? It's not that great. No, I no. don't like the beautiful um, sound at all. Um, that's a Teenage Fan Club to me. I think that's a very... That song is proper early 90s indie disco stuff, which is not is really, really what I sort of usually consider with Ben and Sebastian particularly. Just to go back to Juliet Naked, there's oh, a God. bit where he talks about, uh, I went to the Doctor of Love, and then it's like, bum, ba, da, dum, de, bum, de, da, de, bum, bum. And I was a bit like, okay... This is really catchy, but it's a really diff- annoying it's a well. different kind of fucking ridiculous to mm. like what we're about to talk about. But I think it's maybe equally as ridiculous. You know, when people talk about metal, like isn't metal stupid? I always I do I listen to something like this and I go, Well, oh, this is stupid as well, right? This is definitely stupid. This is fucking stupid because you get a song like So In The Moment, which is it starts off a little bit more rocky, a bit more riffy. There's a bit more of a pace in the guitars. And it's like, oh, OK, all right, maybe we've got a song here. And then the fucking flutes come back. And it's just it's like it's like listening to the score for The Lord of the Rings. But you've never seen the film and you have no reverence for it. It's fucking awful. Um, really didn't like that. Will I tell you a secret is listen to the flower people from Spinal Tap. It is. I'm, I'm not having any argument that says that it, it is a song that is not a direct cover with someone else singing. It, it just is. Proper it, hey nonny nonny, in it? It's absolutely uh, hey nonny nonny nonny. What was the one? Absolutely the, awful. The one before that where he's, he's wishing you could be content about the football score. Oh, when oh no, we, I know yeah, the, I, mean, I know the fucking feeling, yeah. mate. I mean, <laughs> I, I thought that felt like quite a nice uh, mid-career slump period Manic Street Preachers song. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. Some, I like, mean, know your enemy one. or something. Uh, I, I don't know that stuff well enough to really agree but yeah um I, i've heard bad manix and yeah i think that could could well fit in there i think it might be worse than a lot of the bad stuff of theirs i've heard but then i've not heard no you're enemy in full uh that one for me um was just irritating because of the vocal delivery because actually the kind of oh isn't isn't the mundane actually quite beautiful in itself i don't think is necessarily a bad idea it's the way you do it and they've done it badly um 
I will say there is one song on this album though that I do really actually like. Uh, I wonder if if you've got a highlight at all. If we're gonna have yeah. the same one, which is yeah. I don't know what you see in me. Um, uh, which one's that? That uh, is fourth from the end. It's the one that is since Gloria since it's throwback disco sort of boy band pop, uh, somewhere between eighties British pop and the rise of like take that. It's brilliant. It's got that chorus. I don't know which way to be. I, I know. know oh, I, I, that one. I thought really you meant good. when you're with me for a minute, because I think that's really good. When you're with me, I think is really good. So, so far on this album, like this is where I am when I get to, right? There's stuff in it that I don't really like that much. And there's stuff that I think is all right. You know, a bit Hey Nonny Nonny, a bit Mid-Period Manix, quite kind of indie disco. Um, so in the moment, oh, so in the moment as this distorted guitar and I'm like, oh, here we go. And then a tin whistle comes in and you're like, oh, mate, yeah. you're the fucking mamas and papas. What are you doing? But, <laughs> you know, I don't hate it. I just think it's kind of funny. And I think it's a pretty good pop song. When You're With Me is the best song on the album, I think. And when it's followed up with I Don't Know What You See In Me, like a fucking Euro 2000, Eurovision 2006 entry that they had lying down the back of their sofa. I mm. think that is fucking rubbish. I hate that. Oh, and I think no. that song drop. I think that song drops it off an unimaginable cliff. And the rest of the album is cack from there on in. That's what I think. I I agree. The rest of the album's cack, but I think that's because Do You Follow has um kind of a weird dub feeling, but with xylophones. It's like the police played in a nursery, which is awful. Uh, when you're not <laughs> with me, I do like, and I like that there's quite a prominent sort of dry bass and those 80s sort of synth pop composite drums. But no, I don't know what you see in me. There's something about it that just, it, it gets me. Uh, I will say the only other positive I can give this though is that the music of the song The Evening Star almost sounds a little bit like Diamond Dog Zero Bowie. But then they ruin it by being on it. So by going do do da dum de dum diddly dum do do. Thou been to the florist today. The last two songs on it. I mean, I tell you what. Oh my god! You know things are bad when even Bell and Sebastian go for the Love Island theme salsa pop realm as they nearly do on Do You Follow, which I don't like at all. And then it ends with two quite really twee, folky, smelly farts back to back. One that sounds just like rubbish. A B side and then the last song sounds like fucking how bizarre by omc how bizarre <laughs> walking to the football i was like I, I didn't mind this i thought oh you know bella sebastian it's going to be a bit twee it's going to be a bit sort of like hey mm. nonny nonny it's going to be a bit folky and a bit kind of mung bean and a bit like you know <laughs> burgundy <laughs> burgundy cardigan isn't it it's going to be a yeah, bit yeah. like all of that but I don't mind that if the songs are quite good. And I thought for the first half, there was enough stuff on it, even though it kind of veered a little bit too close to the kind of the the, the worst aspects of, you know, like Richard Breyer's in The Good Life sort of. Thing. <laughs> um, yeah. but, Where is Felicity Kendall? She would then, make it all better. Yeah. But then the best song comes along and I was like, oh, actually, it's quite good. And then it drops off and absolutely drops off a fucking cliff after that song. I mean, I'm I'm sorry, but that fuck i don't know what you see in me i just think he's i don't know what you're hearing in that because i think it is fucking awful it sounds like the song it sounds like in 2000 ireland's entry into the eurovision song contest that didn't that got that came like sixth in the voting round 
It's yeah, My it's, Lovely Horse, which is a good song. It's fucking awful. It's fucking awful. I it's, don't. Maybe it's because When You're Not With Me is a good song that I, I've still got some residual kind of love by the time I get to I Don't Know What You See In Me, which I do like. I like the fact that there's these glorious things and it's daft as anything. The rest of it, I don't think is daft. I think the rest of it is actually really quite earnest and they're going, ah, yes, but the apothecary is only open until where? Where will I find my newt tails? It's like, fuck off, you stupid bastard and i don't hate it it's just i find it really irritating it's like yard act like i don't actually hate yard act but i find them so so irritating that it comes across as a real kind of aggression hey guys i got some lavender and some mung beans and i've made a wee i've made a wee broth and if we could all sit around in my yurt and just i've made some soda bread as well and we'll sit down and we'll compose some songs together and we'll like that's what this album is isn't it I I mean, that's, that's what Bell and Sebastian are. But then halfway through, they've gone, oh, you know, actually, fuck it. Let's get some disco beats on things. Right, like, a good song. Yeah. Oh, my rhubarb patch. <laughs> my rhubarb patch is flowing the day. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, like Jesus. It's... I don't hate... Again, like, I don't hate this record. I'm going to take the piss out of it because it's, it's, it's fucking funny. Like, it's It's, it's hilarious. I think Bell and Sebastian, yeah. I don't know if anything else is funny. The Boy with the Arab Strap, it's not funny. I mean, it's quite tw- a twee as well, but there are good songs mm. in that album. That is good. I honestly can't tell you how much of the other stuff that I've listened to. I mean, when Tiger Milk came out and they won that thing, I do remember hearing a bit of it. Got released in, re-released in 1999. Yeah, that feels about right. Um, and I remember, I'm looking at, the, look at the, the, the names and the uh, the covers of their albums. Folger... Fold your hands, child. You walk like a peasant. I remember that coming out and a lot of people mm-hmm. playing that. And then after that, I have to say, it's a little bit of a... Oh, The Life Pursuit. I remember that coming out as well. I remember The Life Pursuit got nominated for a bunch of stuff, didn't it? No, don't worry about it. Anyway, look. All, all the stuff. All the stuff. I've heard a bit of Ben Sassin before and it does, you know, like I, I do think The Boy With The Abstract is, a, is actually a very good record. And Fair. I think it is kind of like they are kind of inherently a bit t- a bit earnest and a bit kind of twee mm. and a bit. But you could chuck that at, you know, a bunch of bands from that time. It was a thing. It was a scene, you know, the beta band or Gomez or, you know, wh- whoever. Right. You could chuck it at all those people. Um, I kind of like that they've broadened their sound out a little bit or quite a lot over the intervening years. But I don't like the fact that some of it is so shit bad. Yeah. Yeah. Some of this is really quite bad. I think for me, you know, the kind of, um, the sort of round, round the fire acoustic guitar session round uh, down at the allotment would be much better if, um, Aidan Moffat and Malcolm Middleton came down and started sort of a sex party in the middle of it. That's yeah. what I want in my music. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think that would be much more preferable. So mm. let's not talk about it anymore. Uh, let's move on. That is Late Developers by Bell and Sebastian. Early Developers, more like. Uh, let's Ooh. move on to a band who are massively similar. Hugely similar. <laughs> barely, barely um, any kind of difference between these two artists at all. King 810. K5. So this is a stopgap EP from the US metal band. A follow-up to their 2021 album, AK Concerto Number no. 47, 11th Movement in G Major. So that came out in 2020. Actually, it came right. That's right. It came out right at the end of 2020, not 2021. Um, 
King810 have had an interesting career and I think a mm. thought about in a series of interesting ways. I have had fairly mixed feelings toward them over the years, just to fill in the gaps with King 810, I think, a little bit. When they came out with Memoirs of a Murderer in 2014, I heard a bit of it. I remember playing um, Fat Around the Heart a lot on Team Rock Radio, because when I was on the radio... Great song. You're fat! and um (laughs) (laughs) you're right yeah and uh and i was like cool it's heavy and it's catchy and it's kind of good but it feels a little bit forced and a little bit false and Mm. it's all a bit like you know i got this gone you know (laughs) it is jeff from the league of gentlemen yeah and um and so i wasn't really sure and then i listened to the album and i thought it's all right the album's all right and they got pushed a lot like, you know, mm. they were in the media a lot. They supported yes. Slipknot. They, had a, they felt like they had a real big push straight away. And then La Petite Mort, or A Conversation With God, came out in 2016. And I got given that to review for Metal Hammer, and I was like, oh, God, here we go. And I thought it was really fucking good. Like, really fucking good. Like, surprisingly. And I went back and listened to that, and I was like... This is a really interesting record. I don't think every single idea that they were going for came off perfectly, but I thought the kind of the Nick Caveisms, the hip hop elements of it, the darker and the sort of more ambient parts and whatnot, we're kind of we've kind of become used to those broader structures within hardcore and hip hop and metal hip hardcore and metal and rock. Years later, with Code Orange and Turnstile and Soul Glow, and we'll be talking about the Zulu album at some point this year, and that as well. But I don't think we were as used to it in 2016. So to me, it felt, at the very, very least, felt really, really interesting. Mm. It didn't really happen for them. No one really paid that much attention to that record, which I thought was a shame. It was a shame. And then Suicide Kings came out in 2019, and I thought that was a significant step back in terms of the quality of their output. And yes. they had a lot of problems with members leaving and stuff and yada, yada, yada. I think, you know, first time was on Roadrunner. They had to self-release that. And I thought, well, you know, probably that's the end of that then, isn't it? And then AK Concerto number 47, 11th Movement in G Major came out in 2020. And I believe when we did Right Act, we reviewed it. And I was a bit like, we don't really need to review this, but I think it's a quiet week, so fuck it. Like, we'll stick it on at the end. Mm. And I listened to it, and I thought, yeah, you know, it sort of sounds like King 810. But it was still on my phone from where I downloaded it. And there were a couple of moments on it that I was like, that actually, that is good. Like, that, that is a good, um, that, is a, that is a fucking good, like, a, a, you know, a good song that and then lo and behold as the sort of time went on the more i found myself coming back to album and now i mean there's a few songs on that record that are fucking um, that i think are fucking brilliant like proper 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 brilliant suicide machines second to last in fact the last two tracks on that record which are suicide machines and 2A, 2A. Yeah. are both 
absolutely fucking brilliant. Someone like Jukes is absolutely great as well. And I think people had sort of already made their mind up and it just fizzled away. Um, but I think that last record is fucking great. Like really, really, really great. It's one of the few metal records of the last three years that has really stayed with me that I will play mm. and I'm like, oh, I know these songs and they're great. There's not many of them, but that is definitely one of them. What do you Fair reckon, enough. Sam? Uh, my, my sort of experience with King 810 is broadly the same. Uh, I remember Memoirs of a Murderer coming out and yeah, getting a lot, a lot of a push, a, a lot of push from the press, particularly Metal Hammer. And I know um, Dom Lawson especially did that uh, little uh, mini documentary that went out on Metal Hammer's YouTube. Yeah. I thought that was really, really interesting. And I thought, okay, let's see, because, you know, there's a lot of, lot of momentum behind these guys. Let's see if it pays off. And I thought the debut album was quite good. I thought there were a couple of good songs on it. I mean, basically, Fat Around the Heart and Kill Em All. I thought that was a good song as well. Uh, when Le Petit Moore came out, I was like, oh, okay, uh, much the same as you. I thought there was some really strong stuff on there. And I think even the stuff that didn't work, at least it was something interesting. And when um, Suicide Kings came out, I was like, oh, this is fucking rubbish. And I saw them here in Leicester, and it genuinely remains one of the worst gigs I've ever been to. I thought oh, they wow. were a mess. They're... I'm loath to call it a shtick because I know they're not putting it on. I know that, you know, they do come from a violent and deprived part of America, famously so, in Flint, Michigan. So I don't want to say that they're kind of putting it on, but I feel like they are exaggerating it for performative effect, which I don't think would be unfair to say. And it did not land at all. There was sort of deathly silence between a lot of songs. David Gunn's kind of like, you know, hard man patter was not sitting well with anyone and it sounded like shit as well. I think that was the tour where their guitarist had just left and so it was just David Gunn and your man who plays bass guitar. I can't yeah. remember his name off the top of my head, I'm sorry. Um and I think they had a live drummer. They might not have done. I know all the guitars were coming out of a laptop, they're on track. And they uh, the 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 two sort of like front persons who as I understand it are the only two kind of consistent members of King Eight One M um were having i don't know if they were even having a hard time keeping up they didn't really seem like they wanted to do it so i totally wrote them off so i didn't listen to uh ak-47 concerto in gi g stands for gun major whatever it is um but i asked you what were those songs that you really liked off because i remember i've heard you quite a few times say that it's an album that has stayed with you so much and i listened to them and it was like well that does make sense as a link into what we've got here and i will say I think this continues in the King 810 trend of experimentation where not all of it works, but fair play to him for doing it. And actually, I think I respect King 810 more than I like them because, you know, they were on Roadrunner. They were on this massive, massive metal label for the first two albums. Uh, they then get presumably dropped. I don't know if they were dropped or if they chose to leave. I don't know quite the particulars of that, but whatever. But they're still making this stuff and they're self-releasing it. And it is kind of art for art's sake. You know, they're never going to be massive in the way that there was that promise. But they're still doing what they believe in. I think fair fucking play to them. I think the opening track on this is musically quite interesting. Uh, the way it sort of kicks in with the like wheezing, woozing guitars almost made me think of the sirens at the start of Firestarter by The Prodigy. And it's like, well, I don't really associate dance music with King 8 no. So that's strange. And then... The riff actually is pretty pummeling. It sounds pretty good in that kind of metalcore with a bit of electronic stuff in it, but better than a lot of bands do it. 
However, then, the kind of bad side of metalcore comes through on David Gunn's delivering the verses, which um, the first verse, just over piano, is... Uh, one that I can play with, look into her eyes, her eyes, Greek eyes, Eve's eyes, want to stay with, ooh, pushing her, wasting, ooh, it's blood, drink, spit, one who's wasted. That could work as a kind of, I don't know, piece of maybe quite out there, you know, verse. But when he's singing it in that kind of like, oh, I'm in a new metal band and I'm crying, like, I mean, you know, new metal or the devil wears Prada, God forbid. It really doesn't land for me. So I was thinking, oh, God, this could be quite a long slog, even though it's an EP. From Holy War, however, though, I was I was starting to be won over. And to be honest, for me, mate, Isabel Say Cheese and Die, I think are fucking brilliant songs. And I I, I was beginning to wonder, am I just in a daft mood? Because I liked that Eurovision knockoff on Bell and Sebastian. And I really like a song by Kingate 10 that's named after an R.L. Stein Goosebumps novel. But I really fucking like it. I think Isabel is a kind of a symphonic industrial rock track with towering choirs and David Gunn really fucking going for it on the performance and his rapped verse where he's doing this bastardised religious imagery of, you know, kind of having really aggressive sex in the Garden of Eden, I think is really fucking powerful and really quite nasty and that's the kind of thing you want from a band like this. Hmm. So that's fine. I then think Say Cheese and Die, everything about it I should hate because it's basically like a more gritty and slightly less irritating kid rock, but it's, it's really it's good. Jonathan Davis fronting Insane Clown Posse at some points. I mean, it is real, yeah. real over. I mean, it's a kind of them doing an industrial song, but it's so over the top. But I actually think, I mean, you know, people say about David Gunn, oh, it's put on and it's, oh, listen to him. He, it, it's put on. I'm going to go and listen to this death metal band where this guy's going, and it's like, oh yeah, no, no, he, he, he really sounds he's, like that in like real that life. All the time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, look, they're a metal band. And uh, metal's silly. We're about to talk about another metal band. Uh, deeply silly. But then, you know, if you say King 8 is silly, people go, oh, yeah, yeah, they are fucking stupid. Ah, guns, yeah, uh, yeah. idiots. But if it's like, oh, I, uh, I chopped a zombie's head off, people go, oh, brilliant. Yeah, this is the height of art. Like... <laughs> You know, it, it doesn't make much sense to me. And I think King 810 have been written off for indulging in, I guess, the most brutish and aggressive elements of their their sound and mm. their aesthetic for the early, early days. And I don't think they were probably, they probably, you know, they, they weren't that good back then. They just kind of weren't, they, they were fairly good, but they weren't like amazing, amazing good. No, and it's like, no. But years and years down the line, I think people are just going, oh, they're that band that did that. And it's shit to be like, oh, you're that, but you've kind of evolved into something different and you've you've got better, but I'm not willing to do that. I mean, look, mm. if we were talking about Palm Reader now, yeah. and I said, oh, people, you know, because they played, they've only ever played Download once, it was on their first album. They're a much better band now. Obviously they are. Mm. And how frustrating is it? And how do we all get frustrated that people go... Uh, they had their chance and you know yeah yeah it's done you know i know probably not people who listen to the show or like agree with like the sort of thing we like but people in the industry in general well the same is true of king 810 surely i think they are they are a better band now because i think for a few reasons i think you know look does david gunn have a, a marmite voice yeah do you know he sounds like he sounds like paul cook again i've talked about football quite a lot this this but Pom <laughs> our old man pompey's old manager paul cook who now manages chesterfield um 
his voice is hilarious because he'll be like, yeah, you know, the, the, the team were doing well for the first 60 minutes. And then we gave away a really stupid <laughs> corner that we just shouldn't have given away. And, you know, suddenly we're back under the cosh again. And it's like, fucking hell, mate. You... <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> you are the most high pitched and the most low pitched voice man in the world, and David Gunn does do that. Like I'm about to murder someone tonight, and it it probably is a little bit bracing and a little bit grating for people who don't like that sort of thing. But I think at least you listen to it and you go, "Well, that's definitely him." It's distinctive, definitely distinctive. And you mentioned, you know, the first song. It's okay. I think it's okay. It's just very, very quiet, loud, quiet, loud. It's not massively surprising, but fine. You I said think that that is the same first and fifth song for me are both just kind of like that's what I expect from King Eight One Zero, and so I'm a bit less taken by it. I think the middle three, however, are yeah. much better. So sorry, go on. Yeah, well, I was gonna say like you get a big fuck off riff on Holy Raw. Those string parts like you mentioned on Isabel is great. Say Cheese and Die is. I think that thing is so fucking mad and bug eyed, and I'm actually gonna say, um, Widdishin's the last song. Is so catchy and groovy, and he's just going fucking batty. Now, I'm not saying King 810 should completely dump more of the experimental, expansive stuff and all the other things that they do. But I think, having heard this last album and having heard this, their bread and butter should be those absolutely massive, big-ass songs that mm. are just kind of borderline-like thug daft right because the songs that yeah. i mentioned to you like 2a and suicide machines they're not the kind of experimental clever like odd side of king 810 they are just the biggest riffs the biggest hooks and i think they can do that i think they can be just a like stompy obnoxious heavy metal band they don't have to chuck everything away that's sort of expansive and experimental look at ramstein ramstein do both mm-hmm. ramstein aren't a band who are like you know oh they're so you don't initially go oh aren't they experimental and aren't they odd and aren't they you listen to them and most of it is just like with till going ick nine if you minus going whatever over the top of it but there's always moments and elements and songs here and there on every album where you're like oh fuck is that ramson that's weird that's weird and i think people mm. almost forget about that because you go and see them and they just go blow everything up smash Here's bang fire, wallop, yes. riff 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 um and I think King 810, I mean, I'm not saying they're as good as Ramstein. Definitely not saying that. But I am saying that I think that approach would probably do well for them. Because I think they can write just big, dumb bangers. And if you think, and if you're into metal and you think you're too good for big, dumb bangers, well, I mean, that's up to you, essentially. But I think that's the kind of joy of this type of music. And I think, actually, King 810 are... Uh, much better than like again i would rather listen to this than listen to some like 78 minute long ambient (laughs) black metal project about you know like the fucking polish response to the start of the second world war do you know i no that's not what i want to listen to metal for that's not why i listen to like all the things that sepultura's music might be about Mm. I just like going, welcome to the third world and like banging my head. Fucking that's what, what I want. What is this shit? What is this shit? Tanks on the streets. I don't care what street. I don't care what type of tank. I don't care why it's there. I don't care about the like, you know, fucking cultural context of it. I just want to kick a fucking, I just want to chuck a frisbee at someone's head in a field <laughs> while they're playing Bloodstock. Come, that's what right. I want. I think King 810 can do that. 
Um, I thought the last album was two massive steps forward. I would say broadly, this is a slight shuffle back, but it's still pretty cool. Okay. I mean, um, I, because I haven't heard the last album in full, uh, I can't really comment on that. I would say from where I left King Gate 1.0, this is a massive, massive step forward. And yeah, I think they can write some fucking big hooks. The chorus of Say Cheese and Die. I mean, that's a hell of a chorus. I want to see that at Bloodstock. That'd be fucking brilliant. That I have it on good faith. We're living our last days. I'm dead. I'm mm. dead. It's brilliant. So if you like metal and you like hooks, listen to that song. And if you're disappointed, you're probably just being an idiot. So yeah, you bloody, you know, contrarians. Yeah, oh, honestly, but then it, you know, is it even contrarian? Like I suppose it's it's not cool to be nice about King Eight Ten anymore, is it? It's not cool to be nice about them. No, they've sort of be become fair. like a meme, haven't they? They sort of become like one of those joke bands. Because, ah, well, they, yeah, they are. You know, I've got this gun. That, yeah. that is what they are. And to be fair, I'd written them off. You know, I'd not listened to them since 2019 when I saw them be appalling on that third album. So you know, I'm as guilty of it as anyone. But mm. hey, heal and grow, guys. Heal and grow. Heal and Bella grow. Sebastian would want that. <laughs> they really, really would. Uh, K5 by King810 is out on Monday. If you're listening to this record the day it comes out it's not actually out yet. uh this is out today though amy from rike empty airports the fifth full-length album from the odd electro norwegian kind of post electro norwegian duo the follow-up to their 2020 album which was brilliantly fun music to work it out mm-hmm. to album i love how that album uh was really kind of an amusing and exciting mix of tech metal and 80s pop Meshuggah meets the human league i bloody loved <laughs> that record it was just such a dizzy contagious brilliantly fun excellently produced exciting thing to listen to it was it's a brilliant brilliant record and i hadn't really heard anything quite like that before did you listen to that record at all sam Oh, yes, I absolutely loved that album. And as a result of it, I went back and listened to, oh, in the run-up to it, uh, listened to uh, their previous three albums. And I think the thing that I found for me uh, that I really liked about Aiming Aiming for Enrique that they nailed on music for working out was a sense of levity throughout it all. There's a kind of joyousness to everything they do. And they play with a lot of different genres, broadly sticking in a kind of a danceable mould. And I thought that was absolutely great. So... Yeah, Music for Working Out is a fucking great album. Um, I've been meaning to go back to it, to be honest. Since I knew we were doing this, I was like, oh, I should stick that on. And then I've just not mm. found the time to do it. And then listen to this one. I'm like, yeah, I should have listened to Music for Working Out instead. Yeah, so this album is not that. No, right. this is a double album for a start. Yeah, this was written in lockdown. And it feels like the guys in Amian, in uh, Amian for Enrique had quite a quiet and reflective lockdown let's say and they're mm-hmm. inflicting the the memory of that lockdown on us here uh it says <laughs> the soundscape in empty airports is dragged more towards electronica compared to early releases by using new synth effects and a new drum kit they're expanding the their def- definition of minimalism an atmospheric and massively and an atmospheric and massive expression pushes the super duo near a soaring ambient scenery the songs are inspired and belong somewhere between tom york Ashra, Nils Fram, King Crimson in the 80s, John Hopkins and Steve Reich. Uh, Can I tell you what this sits between for me? Go on. Sits between public service broadcasting without any of the intrigue and the edge has fallen asleep at his pedal board. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look. So on the band camp, the title track has been split into three parts, although the version that we got 
um, is all one part and it's an eye-watering 13 minutes long and a beat doesn't come in until 10 minutes mm. come on lads the final track pulse fragments is 17 minutes long there's a song called feel no threat stroke absent lovers or maybe that is two songs actually which is 11 minutes long there are fairly few that are close to sort of 10 minute mark this mm. is a long album this is a long is. album and it's quite the undertaking uh broadly speaking now, that's not to say that it's without any merit whatsoever. That just because it's a different thing doesn't mean it's bad. I think there's bits and bobs on it that are quite good. The Rats and the Children um, has a lovely smooth guitar line that opens it and quite a slight, uh, comparatively slight six minutes. It's got this mm. weird pace modulator thing, which you quite like. Doesn't ever really kick into full gear like them at their best. Um, they go a bit mad on Square Machine quite like that sounds a little bit like or tecra um there's the castle which is nine minutes long and it just sort of gets into it like it gets into it and uses quite weird deep bass frequencies that they use which is sort of quite cool sounding i can't begrudge a band for doing a thing that they want to do and i no. think you're always going to have this this sort of thing with bands who do choose to sort of quite wildly veer between emotional totems in albums and stuff because I wanted more fun time aiming for Enrique, mm. but they obviously don't want to give me that. But if that's what I want and they're giving me, let's be real here, the opposite of that, this is quite a kind of, this is a much slower, much more mm. slight, uh, much more ambient, much less instantaneous record i think it's less interesting for it to be honest because i think the joy in making like loads of people make music like this and not anyone yeah. that i could think of made music like you heard on music for working out so it made it really exciting and unusual i don't think this is very exciting or very unusual um it's not bad it's not a bad record but it's it's one of those things you know sometimes with bands and with artists you just gotta go oh they do whatever the fuck they want and in this particular mm -hmm. moment what they want is not what i want and that's what this is i think yeah basically yeah i mean it, it would be massively hypocritical of me to say i respect king gate 10 for doing whatever the fuck they want to do and then say that king uh, aiming for enrico should not be doing that that is absolutely not what i'm saying at all i'm very much in the same boat as you where i feel the the issue i have with this album is that yeah they, they've kind of lost that sense of fun and frivolity, which, to be fair, given the context in which it was written, I get that that is understandable. But ultimately, I don't want to spend this long in these spaces um, from a band who I know can do that kind of upbeat stuff so well and so sort of idiosyncratically and uniquely. Um, so it is a shame. It, it's not terrible. But I do think it's just, it's meandering and it's quite languid. I mean, as you say, the first song, it takes 10 minutes for any percussion to come in properly. Yeah. And it's like, come on, come on. Um, the bits I do like, um, feel no, uh, the first bit of Feel No Threat, Absent Lovers, which is two tracks on the band camp. Um, the, the riff and clean sort of acoustic guitar, or clean electric and acoustic guitar that come in, uh, the the kind of loop and the slightly jagged feel to that reminded me of New Levels, New Devils era Polyphia, which is the only Polyphia album I've heard, but I quite liked that one because it did have that kind of sense of fun to it. 
that's okay. Um, the castle, I quite liked the idea behind the way it sort of, you know, kicks straight in with this growing baseline underneath and the more kind of sub-frequency stuff. That to me did feel like it was um, sort of incidental video game music, uh, which is not a problem for me. I know you're not a video games fan unless it's FIFA, but for me, that was that was fine. But it highlighted a problem for me across the album as a whole, which is the kind of the Vangelis synth thing, which is just because it's been used in um, other forms <clears throat> of media to create a sense of atmosphere doesn't mean that you can just plonk it in and you get atmosphere. Because listening to that, it's, I'd say the closest um, sort of video game soundtrack I could put it next to would be 65 days of static did the soundtrack for a game called no man's sky which to be fair i would never listen to in isolation because it works in the context of the game that is about kind of spacefaring through the vastness of the the infinite we did the fragile special on nine inch nails we listened to the quake soundtrack i know you weren't mad on it but i think you found a lot more merit in that and i think the quake soundtrack exemplifies when you do a really really good video game soundtrack or then on the total opposite end you've got something like streets of rage the castle does not come close to any of those in any way shape or form um i just found it all quite dull to be honest there are a couple of bits i like but in I mean, how long is this album? I don't have the title time in front it's of me. About it's about an hour and a 70... half. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh god, an hour and a half. Maybe it's a bit less than that. Actually, let me just double check. But was, it's, was, it's long. It's long. It, let's say it's around eighty minutes, give or take. Um, hour and fifteen. Like, yeah. Oh, hour and fifteen. Okay, so seventy-five minutes. Um, there's maybe kind of five minutes on it that I absolutely, not even absolutely, that I really enjoyed. I think the rest of it is just kind of waiting for something to happen. Um, and it just doesn't do it for me. Uh, which is a shame, but I mean, here's to the next one, because who knows what the fuck Aiming for Enrico are going to do next time around, because they do dart so wildly around their kind of influences and the genres that they choose to play with, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I hope they've got this out of their system. I'm going to be really like blunt about it. I, I, mm. it you, you can do what you want, and you know, fair play for you for trying something a bit different. I hope you've got it out of your system. And you are a really, really unique band when you do Duran Duran meets fucking, you know, sixth. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> like that's that's the thing. Do that because that's fucking amazing. And I think you know maybe they're bored of doing that, or maybe they feel like they've reached an an end point of that where it just there can be no more that you could do. But mm. uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. Like I, um, I was really looking forward to this record, and then I pressed play on it, and I sort of sat there waiting for kind of some big, you know, blue smarty, some like toddler on hitting blue smarties, like dizzy kind of bull in a china shop, rhythmic electro sort of fuzz fest to come in, and it just didn't. And I was like, oh, oh. But that's my mm. expectations as opposed to what they want to do. It's not a bad album, but it is an album that I probably won't be going back to. I won't be. Yeah. Sorry, chaps. But you are a good band. You're a great band. And that's why, you know, it's just that's what good bands do. They do whatever the fuck they want. Fair play, trying to Absolutely. do Steve Reich and Tom York. Fine. Uh, empty Airports aiming for Enrique. Let's move on to now. If you like, aha, King810 rubbish then you'll also think this is rubbish as well because it's dying of everything by obituary essentially 
they're not really that different these bands are they they're not really no. that different it's just one of them talks about guns in michigan and the other one talks about like just war and death death and all this stuff um anyway it's the 11th studio album from the floridan death metal legends their first album since their self-titled album in 2017 i tell you what mate i'm not gonna lie a bloody love obituary mate they've got a hell of a greatest hits album if you want to take i mean they haven't actually i think you can i think you can get a roadrunner the best of obituary but um, obituary gold yeah <laughs> obituary gold the very best of obituary um <laughs> slowly we rot is one of my favorite death metal albums of that era i think it's mm. absolutely fucking brilliant i think um you know they've they've got they've got like world demise is uh, is really good as well that's got a few really really fucking great songs on it um they're a band who you know every album's got a couple of of pretty decent things on it you know i think if you go back to like i mean cause of death again is considered a bit of a classic although it's not one of my fave 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 ones but yeah a bit of a band are pretty consistent in the in the in the in the sort of the death metal sphere they've not really changed that much but then i think they don't really need to that much because they've got donald tardy and his incredibly unique voice in a genre that often has some fairly as we were saying before pretty indistinguishable people fronting it um do you like obituary sam or have you never listened to them I've never really listened to Obituary, and this is uh, not because of Obituary's quality, uh, Obituary's quality or anything like that, or lack of a kind of nicely marketable best of. Um, I would say, broadly speaking, death metal is probably my least favourite extreme metal subgenre. Not by loads, but I feel like it's the one that gives me the least. I just have the hardest time getting on with it. So yeah, I've never mm. really investigated them, to be honest, mate. Fair, okay. Well, I mean, you messaged me and you said... The, the opening track, Barely Alive, uh, you just said, it sounds like Slayer. Do we need to do this? This sounds like Slayer. I reckon it's all going to sound like Slayer. And it does, but it's a fucking banger. And you've got Donald Tardy going, Barely Alive! <laughs> over the top of it, which is very nice. Very nice indeed. Again, Tardy, for me, he's always going to get some kind of man of the match thing because... He's just got yeah. a weird voice. He's kind of he's a bit he's, Arnie. A, he's a bit like Arnie. Come on, like a death metal Arnie. I'll chop your head. Get to the chopper. I I I like him. I like him. He's great. And I'm gonna give a bit to you some real credit here for writing a few songs with huge, massive, mammoth, inescapable hooks, be them vocal mm -hmm. hooks or riffs. The wrong time is yes. fucking heavy and is fucking brutal yet it is so catchy it is sing-along catchy it is great the rap baby <laughs> the wrong time like it's it's well good uh, i um i don't know man i don't know like everything about this makes me think i should be coming in here and going oh what a generic death metal album from a band who've done much better things before like look Obituary have definitely made much better albums than this. But sometimes just let it go. Let the old band do the old thing that the old band do. If they do it well, half of this. I mean, how many tracks even is this? This is like fucking 12 tracks, right? Over 40 minutes. It's not even that long. It's not even no, that long. 10 songs. Minutes, 
<laughs> 10 songs. I think at least six of these songs are go back to. Do you know what I mean? I think Barely Alive mm. is great. Wrong Time is great. Yes. Without a Conscience is fucking hilarious because it's about free speech <laughs> or something. I don't even know what he's going on about. But big groovy song. War has some acoustic guitars on it, Sam. What's this? I know. What's this? I mean, I like this song, but they're posers. Sellouts. They're not yeah. real metal. This is You can't be a death metal band and use acoustic guitars, clean guitars. Sorry, obituary. You are no longer a death metal band. You are posers. I've said they it. now. It has to be true. I've made that decree obituary. You've used acoustic guitars. It's actually made your song sound better. But the problem is you're now posers and fakes. And we have to resign you to the, you know, the, <laughs> the po- in with Motley Crue and Kitty Ooh. in the not metal poser bin. Go obituary, unfortunately. Uh, but that, that song's great. Ooh, I'm sending you to wow. <laughs> Dylan, you son of a bitch. Oh, dear. Um, so, yes, I, I clearly like this less than you, but I do like this album, actually. I think there's, there's some, there is some strong stuff on here. I would, yeah, generally say there's probably about six songs that I would go back to. Barely Alive, I think, is a great Slayer song with Tardy on vocals, basically. Uh, arguably the best Slayer song since 2001, although I do have a soft spot for Flesh Storm from Christ Illusion, but that's basically where I kind of check out with Slayer. Um, yeah, The Wrong Time, absolutely right. It's got, some, it's got basically a great mosh call on it. It's awesome. There are some Titanic riffs across this, uh, particularly on some of the more mid-tempo stuff, which, to be honest, I like the riffs on them. Sometimes that's the those are the bits where the album loses me. So, like, My Will to Live, when it goes more mid-tempo stomp and a bit more evil-sounding in the Hail Satan kind of mould, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm just less interested in that. That is the side of death metal that has never taken me. The bit of death metal that I like is basically at the gates. I like their particular brand of melodic death metal. And that's about it. Mm-hmm. But I think there's some really, really cool stuff in here. I think um, uh, on Torn Apart, you get a proper like new wave of British heavy metal inspired, gives birth to thrash kind of solo on it. That's a little bit bluesy and everything. That's cool. Uh, be warned, I actually really, really like as one of the slower ones. It's proper crunching, crush, kill, destroy, slow, horrible end to the album. All palm muted riffs. I think the only bit of that song that I don't like, which highlights a bit of a problem in general with death metal for me, is there's a bit where it is heavily palm-muted guitars with loads and loads of distortion, and that's it. There's literally nothing else going on around it, and that takes away so much sonic heft for me, and I don't think that kind of dynamism works for this genre. Um, I think the only other thing that I'm not as keen on is there are bits on... Yeah, Weaponize the Hate, for example, where you get that more traditional death metal thing where it's like quite a slow riff and then it goes into the really fast intricate bit and I'm like, I'm not as bothered by that. Just give me songs that I can bang my head to. Like mm. Dying of Everything, which I think is really good. That's a really good uh, up-tempo thrash thing. It's got nice little instrumental breaks. It's got that stop-start appeal of yeah. the very best bits of Slayer, like something like War Ensemble. Fine. I like this album. Don't think I'm going to be the world's biggest obituary fan, but then maybe I should go and listen to Slowly Rewrite and maybe I'll absolutely change my mind. Yeah, you should listen to the song Don't Care as well from uh, World Demise, the opening song that is fucking... He was on a Roadrunner. That was the first time I heard obituary. He was on a Roadrunner, Drilling the Vein video. Amazing scenes. Absolutely amazing scenes. I don't care! I do what I want! <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. Anyway, okay. um, yeah, mate, Dying of Everything, killer. 
a lot of this sort of musically, because you said Slayer, a lot of it reminds me of kind of a Rise era, Sepultura. Sepultura with the other one that I could yeah. hear. But yeah, yeah, I straight, yeah. straight away from saying Sepultura because I know they have got a death metal influence and yet I don't really... Uh, all of my reservations about death metal kind of go out the window with Sepultura, even though I'm not mad on Sepultura anyway. You slagging them off yeah, last like, week, you whore. I know, I know. But like, I write it with <laughs> Sepultura. It's like, it is good, even though it's got the thing that I don't really like in it. You know, it's like, fair enough. I like it. I like it. I mean, again, is this going to be trouble in my albums of the year list? Absolutely not. This is not. number one, isn't it, at the moment? No. <laughs> no, because we're about oh. to get to what is number one. Um, but it is good. It, I, I think yeah, I, I like it. You know, I like this. I think it's a good I think it's a good record. Good. For death metal. Yeah, it's a good death metal record. I mean, what, what more can I say? I probably what would could you call say... their... Oh, go on. Oh, go on. What would I call their what? I was going to say, what would you call their best of collection if it's not going to be obituary gold? Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. You've put me on the spot. I'm trying to think of something that would be funny. Don't I want to do a Donald. Don't have one ready. Don't come up with the one ready. Uh, um, yeah, the Platinum Collection by obituary. Oh, nice. Yeah. Rubbish. Anyway. The immolated Collection. No, could do that, rubbish. but then it'll get be confusing, won't it? Then you can have the obituary Collection by immolated. Emulation. Oh, uh Dying oh. of everything. Obituary. Let's get on. Let's talk about comfortably, comfortably the most interesting, best album that we're going to be talking about this week. Bully by Velvet Negroni came out last week. The third album from Jeremy Nutzman, aka Velvet Negroni, the Minneapolis-based alternative soul solo artist a follow-up to his 2019 album Neon Brown, which featured the single called Kurt Cobain on it, which I remember hearing at the time. Or seeing that there was a song called Kurt Cobain. I'm going, oh, a song called Kurt Cobain. I'm going to listen to that. And I really, really liked it. So, mm. I've sort of been waiting to talk a bit about Velvet Negroni, who I like a lot, for a little while. And now we get the chance to talk about him. He is an African-American raised by a pair of white evangelical Christians who wouldn't let him listen to any secular music. Mm. Hence why the thing that we get here is a fairly odd-sounding mix of stuff within his music. He's worked with Bon Iver before. He's got writing credit for Kanye West. Ooh, but still. Um, I'm going to say it, Sam. I think this is the first great album of 2023. Ooh. You're odd. I am hard. I don't know why that's relevant, but I will go with it. I am hard. Uh, I think you've got this very, very unique approach to making music. Weird, mm. ambient, psychedelic passages mixed with quite leery alternative rap rock. Some incredibly minimalist modern R&B. All produced like it was kind of pieced together by twigs and bits and bobs and debris and found samples and crate dug stuff and slightly out of tune instruments. And that isn't an insult because this is a great sounding album. It sounds great, but it sounds great in a very, very different way to the type of records that we would usually talk about and how they sound great. It just sounds weird and it sounds a bit off. And compared to the typical production of an alternative soul, pop, hip-hop, R&B, indie record, it doesn't sound like any of those things necessarily. And I think it starts fairly slowly. 
but by the time you get mm. to the fourth track the lead single from the album sinker that's where things get legit real for me i mean the way that song ends i have had it on my headphones and i thought someone had called me because it ends like a fucking code orange song it just stops and yeah. it's like oh hey, God, i always get this wrong and it's like is that my phone or is what the fuck it's mm. a real like cut off surprise i thought it was something else entirely um but it's an absolute banger um and then you go i think even wilder of a journey after that but i love this record i fucking love this i i can tell and i can completely understand why i think this is a very very impressive album and i would like to spend more time with it uh it may well i mean who knows how the rest of 2023 is going to pan out it could well end up being spoken about by both of us at the end of the year i think it is clearly a very very complex and very very involved album there is a point in it where i do find i sort of drift away from it ever so slightly and i think some of that comes down to not even just um kind of compositionally and there are points where i get a little bit irritated by the composition uh purely through personal taste where some of it feels like it's being experimental and postmodern and weird for the sake of it uh, and that would be ballad smaller and shiny for me i don't think they're bad songs i think they are kind of they're my my least favorite moments on this and i think a lot of that comes down to the production on this is very slight and it's got that muted kind of desaturated thing that we were talking about a lot last year that a lot of kind of contemporary pop artists were doing uh i think some did it really well taylor swift for example i think some did it less well uh carly ray jepson i think this lies somewhere in the middle close to taylor swift in terms of its execution of that production style that's fine however i completely agree with you i think from pop song two and it's kind of it it took me by surprise where you've got that kind of nice shuffling guitar and then vocally i'd say velvet negroni uh, jason nutsman himself um it sounds quite early sort of early noughties r&b to me it sounded very radio friendly in quite a familiar way to my childhood essentially and then you got the histrionic vocal melody at the end that sounds a bit like technologic by daft punk so i was like okay there's quite a lot going on here in a song that's under two minutes long i think it then moves through yeah quite a few different places i think when you get to sinker which is a wonderful song uh, sorry jeremy nutsman not jason nutsman um but when you get to sinker that soft simple piano up tempo beat p-funk bass guitar i am all in on that i think that's really cool and as you say the way it just comes to a dead stop in the middle of a bar it's quite disconcerting and i think bell clapper is a weird minimalist piano piece with that quite sparse percussion and fragmented vocals and melodies all over it is really smart follow-up because mm. i i feel like when i get to the end of this album so i do find that uh ballad smaller and shiny for me are a little bit of a dip but then georgia i think similar to sinker has a real kind of lush instrumentation to it that is at the forefront and is a bit easier to grasp hold of so you get these little peaks across the album where it's like okay i'll let you in when i get to the end of particularly the, the well the final three songs that trio of the foreigner animal and sub it's got a bit of that kind of weird road weary sort of western thing but it's all quite fragmented and as you get to the end of the final track i do just think is this just being weird for the for the sake of it or is there something that i'm just not getting here and i need to give it more time and then you look at the album artwork and it's like well how personal is this album how autobiographical is it is it a character study is it completely fictionalized but there's something about this where it's talking about the kind of i feel like 
it's reaching inside the mind of a broken individual and trying to piece it all back together. And that was something that obviously appealed to me massively about the idea of the fragile. So I'm not going to judge the album on that if it is something that I'm just not getting. Well, I was going to bring the fragile up actually at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, go for it. I mean, I I, I will say, I do think this album is strong. I just don't think I've quite got the measure of it yet. It probably is the best thing I've heard this year. I don't know if it's the thing I've enjoyed that I've heard most this year so far. But I think uh, Subtieties, which is the worst song, with this weird synth, and this, then it's got kind of a battering rhythm. And it's like a weird fever dream to finish the record. Mm. And it, But yeah, it also sounds a bit like, what the hell am I doing drinking in LA? By Brand Van 3000, mm. whatever it's called. And I think, you know, there's so many things that Animal has this sort of, weird synth robot rock hybrid but again seemingly all put together with parts that aren't quite working together when we're talking about the fragile Trent Reznor deliberately went out of his way to find instruments that were broken or find them that were out of tune or they needed to be put together it's got that a lot of this got that same sort of feel to it I Mm. think when you talk about a song like Bell Clapper or Ballad Smaller right Ballad Small has this very kind of minimalisty tribal beat to it and you go well that's something I think from sort of deep inside him and yet it's mixed with this like almost like a lo-fi version of I don't know like boys to men like it's 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 creating soul music in an alternative way with really no roadmap on how you're actually meant to do that right Mm. it's um and that's what I think is really, really interesting about it is it doesn't, you say like, is it being weird for it being weird? So I don't even think it knows it's weird. Like it is quite weird. I'm not even sure he knows that this is a weird thing to do, to do kind of like Springsteen, like, you know, you mentioned Georgia, which is like a pop song. It's like a kind mm. of Springsteen guitar drive, you know, Americana pop song. But, but with the, but 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 it's also a nursery rhyme like everything about this album feels to me like someone who you know when we talk about the experimentation of a band like king 810 which is not as experimental as this i don't think no no but they are going oh you know if we bring in hip-hop and sort of singer songwriting elements into big hulking thick brutish groove metal that's a really odd thing to do I'm not sure Velvet Negroni even understands that a song like Ballad Smaller is not how you write a soul song or is not what a soul song is meant to sound like. I think Mm. he's just got a general kind of, I don't like to use the word quirky because it, you know, sounds like fucking Zoe Deschanel. Zoe Deschanel. But like, you know, Bell Clapper is slow and slinky and squirt and swerving sort of old school hip hop, but it's done in such a lo-fi way that it just it's not really comparable to anything that it seems like to me it's trying like compositionally trying to ape and that is really really fucking interesting i think it's really Mm. interesting to hear someone like i say when you know because i heard this and i was like what is this like i don't really know what is this indie music is this indie soul is this like hip-hop is it because not really any of those things and then when you read up on him and you're like oh he's just he doesn't know anything about popular music at all he has no like a genuine not even a, a, like no respect for the tropes and the boundaries of genre he doesn't even know what they are he doesn't even know that they mm. exist i don't think and i think he's coming 
at music, at popular music from a place where he's probably just been suddenly hit with all this stuff and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to try and make some music and how does one do that? And I think that would all be, that's that's interesting enough. But he's also a very, very good songwriter. I mean, he's a genuinely very, very accomplished musician and songwriter as well. Like, Sinker yeah, but- is amazing. I mean, it just, that Mark Ronson disco beat played at way too fast and then the mm. vocal line spat out and then it all just stops and you know a song like you know um never said peep which is the second song on it which is does kind of does what amy for enrique are doing but it, he does it in two and a half minutes rather than in 17 minutes you mm. know and, and 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 it's more effective for it i think this is really really weird like i mean ebony eggshell again was that one of the ones that you mentioned that you weren't that keen on because no I... ebony eggshell is i think i think the album is great from uh pop uh, pop song two through to ebony eggshell and then it's uh ballad smaller and shiny that are the, the the slight dip for me mm-hmm. and but noticeable enough that i wanted to point it out in terms of my experience with it yeah sure i mean I think it's great. This I think this is the definitely the best album I've heard. This this well, this is my favorite album of twenty twenty. I know we're only a fucking couple of weeks in, but between this and Iggy Pop, this is my favorite. They're my favorite two albums of of the year so far, and yeah. I think one of them has a better chance of staying there than the other one, and this would be the one because I think it's really weird. I, there's stuff that's not out yet. I just want to say for the there's stuff that's not out yet that I've heard that is better than this but mm. this is I, I really really like this and i really like him and i would say also if you listen to this you know it's only 30 something minutes long and 12 tracks 31 I think, 31 yeah. minutes yeah if you hear this and you're like this is really good definitely go and listen to kurt cobain because that is a fucking okay. great song as well that is a great song um i think this is excellent absolutely excellent and he's only got i mean he's the amount of listeners he has on spotify has jumped up like it's doubled in the last few days i suppose because oh, the album's come out but he's only got about fifty thousand monthly listeners on spotify so he's not massive at the moment wow, okay. so go and have him a little listen i reckon um mm. the album is called bully that's b-u-l-l-i not y and the artist is called velvet negroni it's real good um thanks very much for listening everyone we'll be back next week i was hoping we might have a guest on next week but again never promise because then when no. it doesn't happen, you look like a fucking idiot, don't you? You'll massively let everyone down. Massively let everyone down. Anyway, thank you very much for listening, chaps and chapesses and everyone. We'll be back next week. Uh, go to patreon.com forward slash true cult pop over there. AMC's Void LP will be coming up on Saturday in the Patreon. And then Fear of a Black Planet by Public Enemy is coming too. But if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to help us out during the cost of living crisis and you just want to take, 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 then... Oh, love me, love me. <laughs> then, then uh, yeah, fine, you know, do that, I suppose. And we'll see you next Friday. See you later. <laughs>